This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Three hours of uh, interviews, information, the latest, the greatest, everything you need to know to live a healthier, happier life. And uh, hopefully, you know, to get you ready for Christmas. And the next most important thing, I guess, the release of the new Star Wars movie. (sighs) Good luck. What's wrong? It's just the day. And? It's here. It's a great day. Yeah. No? No. You seem down about Star Wars. No, it's just... When mo- a lot of people are really happy about Star Wars. I know. Wars. No, it's great. I saw Star Wars Episode Four last night. How'd that preparation. go? It was good. Did you sleep? No, I, I saw the whole thing. Did you? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had a little run-in today with Garrett. Did you hear about this? This no. is crazy. Was there a, oh, produ- was, was there a was producer like beatdown? It was a producer standoff. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was pretty messy. I guess Garrett showed up... Uh, Thinking he was going well, to be is, working today. Is this like Fight Club? We're not supposed to talk about Club. it? Or? Well, no, I, I'm talking about it. Okay, go ahead. Break the rules. It's the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it. And and then you got you guys got snippy and then a couple little pushes here and there. Yeah, um, it was more verbal abuse, but there were a couple. Of Who was doing the abusing? Um, I couldn't tell. All I heard was a lot of really loud screams. <laughs> Hmm. Hair pulling, a lot kind of, of hair pulling. Okay, it was the weirdest fight I'd ever heard and seen. Interesting. And then I came down the hall, and there was this hair everywhere. <laughs> well, yeah, board operators do it a little bit differently. <laughs> yeah, you do. It's you totally it's do. like the culture of the board operator. Yeah, it's it's it must be something you learn in your meetings. It's the underbelly of BYU Radio. No, that's cool. See, we had double we had double board ops today. So they, if we needed wow. to, one of them sings and the other makes ice cream. It was like the perfect party. If we were going to have a Matt Townsend show party, that would have been the day. Dessert and entertainment. <laughs> entertainment, if that's what we're calling it. Hey, happy maple syrup day and happy regifting day. Did you know that there's a maple syrup mafia? Oh, sure. Up yeah. in up in Quebec? Yeah. Uh, is there really? Yeah. There's a huge market, just millions and millions of dollars, and there's a crime criminal element that has gotten like, involved like the the syrup mafia. people are smuggling maple syrup wow a contraband syrup there's really? a, yeah it's an illegal market and both uh, the u.s and canada are trying to get their hands around <laughs> oh, it it's gonna stuff. get a little sticky <laughs> yeah it's quite sticky. it's kind of crazy i guess you can have a mafia for anything that you can make money on oh yeah i was trying to read about it yesterday and how, how we could incorporate but it's such a big story yeah well we'll get to it we got nothing but time. <sighs> Do you feel like you shouldn't be working yet? Yeah, Star Wars is out. Oh, no, I'm talking about the holidays coming oh, out. I like, Star Wars I keep still. sitting there thinking, did I not take enough time off? What's wrong? I don't know. It just feels like no one's working. No. Like in the day, it's just kind of me and uh, Don. And well, it's kind of all the bosses are here. It's me and the bosses. Well, I'm here. And then you leave. Well, yeah, I bail. I'm done. Just, Show's I over. Just feel lo- I feel lonely. But yeah, it's kind of an empty building. But most of the students have uh, 
taken a uh, this aspect of student life as yeah. finals are over and they're gone. Right. And doesn't, it's like, wait, you have a job. Doesn't seem but fair. flexible, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> totally flexible. Hey, uh, will you take a note for me, Ben? I need the – this is important. Um, note to self, get your wiper sprayer fixed. Okay, what's a wiper sprayer? Oh, it's on my car for my wipe windshield wipers. Okay. It has juice in it. It has blue the, the Kool-Aid. Fluid. Yes, it has the fluid, washer fluid. fluid. But it doesn't spray. It sprays a lot of times, but my wipers there's it's kind of wet, so salty cold. roads. Yeah. And they get clogged. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense cuz as then, do mine. Once they're clogged, then they'll be unclogged the next minute, and then they're clogged again. Yeah, anyway, I, mean, I think it might. They might have uh, the temperature maybe. combined with the spray off the freeway yeah. and the salt might cause uh, some. Blood. Anyway, I couldn't see for about half of my drive. You could see. No, I really couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I think could, I could hit you... some potholes. Okay. I don't know. Hopefully, they were potholes. <laughs> and all I know is it's. I couldn't see. I, I felt like my car had glaucoma. So I wrote like all of that down. What do you want me to tell the people at the? Just that I that my who, my wiper who, fluid needs. Who's to Who's this flow. going to? I'm, I, it's a note to self. Okay. Oh, so okay. I remember. I, I thought I was calling for you. Oh, will you? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Just okay, call. So and just say everything I said. Okay. Jo- so Joe's fix it shop. Just start. You you may have killed a couple of people. I didn't. I didn't it say wasn't that. People. I, he it was, was talking about potholes. Potholes, maybe, or something else. We're not. sure. I heard a boom, and a whack. There's there's a lot of deer in the mountain areas. Uh-huh. I Arkansas. heard a what the boom, boom, boom. The roads are bad. Or they're just rabbits. It was so bad. The street jack. Well, and I, you know, and I, what I thought is, I'm just going to get if I get close enough to like a snowplow. Okay. And there was a whole caravan of snow plows yeah working i-15 so I thought, i'm just gonna get close enough because they'll get a lot of spray up on my car and then that'll be fine it's not the kind of spray you want though. No, yeah it's mixed with salt and... if you get too close then they just shoot salt at you yeah i did that the other day i was like oh <laughs> floor it get by him but i finally anyway it was bad and i you know usually i have like a, a half a half full bottle of water like bouncing around under my seat you're trying to sp- there was the window any. down and there's splashing on the I couldn't do anything. I was spitting. I, I'm like parched. I couldn't That's get gross. any fluid out. Well, anyway, you, made, you made it though. I made it. Nice job. You did the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. You showed up to work. And again, I have I don't know, twelve inches of snow at my house. Huh. Uh where I... where we work, there's three. Mm-hmm. And it took me twice as long. To get from the freeway to BYU, where there's hardly any snow, yeah. than it took me to get from my house to the exit at BYU. Huh. Oh, it drives me crazy. I had no problems. Just jumped on the freeway? Yeah, well, you probably could see what you were doing. I mean, well, I, there was I, that. I was on someone's lawn. <laughs> doing donuts I'm on like, your neighbor's lawn. Something doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like the freeway. Oh, wait. Hi, Hold Jim. Hold it. Hey, we got a great guest today. If you've been wondering... How come uh, nothing seems to get done in Washington? We've got the answer. I don't know. Paul Ryan's gotten a couple things done since he took over speakership. And interestingly, a lot of people think he's sold himself out and has sold himself to the devil. 
which we're going to get into. Dr. Matt Grossman is going to be joining us. He wrote an article uh, talking about asymmetric um, politics where the Republicans are actually doing – they're living their belief system, but their belief system makes them less likely to compromise. And Democrats much more likely to compromise because they're trying to serve more constituencies, mm-hmm. more different views, and yet they're going to compromise a little bit more. Sometimes listening to the Republican leadership, it sounds like their version of compromise is here is our way. Yeah. Well, and part so of that is because they, well, they, <laughs> they have an ideology. They have a philosophy, and they believe the philosophy have to be true to the principle. And so if you don't do it their way, then you're not compromising and you're not – you're doing what's bad for America. Because one of their principles basically is keep government as small as you possibly can keep it and you need it. And to compromise would mean growing government basically because the the liberals – air quotes, we'll talk about these titles. The liberals are like, no, compromise because we got to get stuff done to serve constituencies. But that grows government. So there's an inherent – philosophical block, and that's why nothing gets done. So we're going to try to understand that. Uh, Dr. Matt Grossman will be joining us in just a few minutes on that. But before we get there, let's go do a quick check of uh, the headlines, do a little uh, trip around the world. What you got for us, Terry? Thanks, Matt. After three days of deadlock jury deliberations, Judge Barry G. Williams declared a mistrial in the case of Officer William G. Porter, who faced manslaughter charges for the April death of Freddie Gray. The jurors could not reach a unanimous agreement on any of the four charges Porter faced. Involuntary manslaughter, assault, misconduct, in office, and reckless endangerment. The family of Freddie Gray in the city of Baltimore called for people to remain calm, hoping to head off any of the violence that the city saw earlier this year. Here's Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake. If we believe injustice must have respect for the outcome of the, of the judicial process, this is our American system of justice. All parties involved will be back in a courtroom this morning to set a new court date. Secretary of Defense Ash Carter used his personal email account to conduct official government business during his first month at the Pentagon, according to the New York Times, citing uh, White House and Defense Department officials and copies of the emails the newspaper found Carter continued using his account, which violates Defense Department rules for at least two months after the scandal erupted in March over Hillary Clinton's use of her personal email while she was Secretary of State. So that's going on in the news, and Ash Carter was just using his email, and he's like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it it wouldn't be a big deal, except for it's a big deal. It's a big deal. (laughs) And so, because a spokesman for Carter told the Times that the Pentagon chief felt it was a mistake to use his personal account for the government business and has since stopped the practice. Uh, The Federal Reserve announced Wednesday afternoon that it will be raising interest rates for the first time since early 2006. The hike from a range of 0 to 0.25 percent, a range uh, that was widely expected, but... It still ends, but it ends a unprecedented seven-year run at zero target since the onset of the Great Recession. According to the statement, a solid majority of of officials who vote on Fed policy believe the economic recovery is now strong enough to merit the increase. So this is good news. Yeah. Well, even stock market kind of showed a little Oh, they love it. Yeah. It was funny. I heard the BBC had someone that was at the stock market when it happened. And he goes, let's listen to the announcement. And then you heard someone go, oh, yeah. Like oh, what, yeah. You, you could tell there was 
a lot of people, like 20, 30, 40 people standing around this guy, all staring at a TV. And one person went, all right. And that was it. That was the entire celebration. <laughs> it's as exciting and as And the reporter's got. like, there you go. Big news here. Right. So there was no excitement. The CNN Republican debate in Las Vegas Tuesday night earned an average 18 million viewers, making it the third most watched primary debate in history. It topped only by the first two Republican debates of the 2016 election cycle. Fox News averaged 25 million in August. CNN averaged 24 million in September. September. The following GOP debate in, uh, on CNBC and Fox Business Network were relatively smaller, earning only 14 and 13 million viewers, respectively. So, hmm. yesterday we were, you, you were acting like a lot of people watched. Yeah. Apparently a lot of people watched. That's great news. People like politics. Apparently. Or they want to see if Trump's going to do something. They're waiting for some implosion. And in other news. Yeah. The, uh, on Wednesday, the Reporting Industry Association of America announced that Michael Jackson's Thriller has become the first album to be certified 30 times platinum in the United States. Holy cow. Meaning it has sold more than 30 million copies domestically since its release in 82. That song, Human Nature, was the sixth single off that album. Which doesn't happen. Unbelievable. Usually you get one, yeah. two, maybe three, six. Six. But there was even more than that. 30, how many billion? 30 million copies 30 sold million domestically. Copies. So this is just inside the United States. <sighs> Most of those sales are from the 80s and from when it went platinum in just two months after release to 20 times platinum by 1984. Variety Report, that's from Variety. The recording industry chief uh, executive, Kerry Chapman or Sherman, calls the sales record an exceptional achievement and statement to Thriller's enduring spot in our hearts and the music history or musical history and also after his death. Mm-hmm. A lot more sales there, too. That was – let's just pay tribute to the 80s. Too. I mean, while we're at it, the 80s made a lot of great stuff. Uh, serious Hair, mm. Jerbo Jeans. Hey, that wasn't really, was that Millie, the 80s? Millie Vanilli. That was when I was in Oh, that was high. 90, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, Millie Vanilli. 90s. <sighs> yeah. uh, did you notice that Ben, he's just tired. <laughs> like, we could have been listening to Michael Jackson through that whole piece. And so. Let me, he just let me got just, all pooped out. He just got tired. Yeah, he just kind of shut off the... He's just... <laughs> okay, like, I'm done with that. We could listen to some music I thought I'd play. You know, it came in hot. I'm done. Yeah, he's Go like, I'm out. Okay, there's there's a reason for this. Oh, was it only that long of a cut? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's about so it was really Terry's fault. 10 seconds. Yeah, so No, I, I mean, it's... <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not critiquing it. I'm just yeah. saying there's I, I kind of wanted to hear more of Michael. There's some computer issues going on this morning. Now, oh, the, are there? The volume, that's, that's kind of on him because he leaves all the, the switches, you know, Hey, by the way, let's hot. let's make a rule. Yeah. Uh, next time we hire a board operator, okay. make sure that they, they're not hearing impaired. Okay. Wait, they they are, get the concept of volume. Are you ever going to hire a new board op? Oh. Um, you didn't tell him? What? You didn't tell him? I thought we were going to wait till we had more. I guess more... Don should tell him. Yeah. No, we're, no. Um, you're, what? Talk to Don today. Don, yeah. Don's, Don wanted to talk to you. You're doing great. You've been gone. You've doing been gone. gone. And Don just wanted to talk to you. Huh. I, I'm pretty sure after the hearing test, we'll make the decision. We need a professional opinion before we just assume you can't hear. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to There's plenty of evidence, you. but- we don't want to. Do I mean, that. it's not like you're going to lose your job. It'd be reassigned. You'll have a different position. I will not go back to doing spreadsheets. No, 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 no. <laughs> You'll be in the mailroom. That was the first thing I gave him when he, when he hired on. I'm like, this isn't a great job, but I need this done. Can you do a spreadsheet? He's like, oh, his soul. What's like, a spreadsheet? Yeah. Anyway, so don't worry about it, man. Just a little Christmas surprise.
You're putting me out of work before oh, Christmas. I would never get rid of you. Hey, uh, Dr. Matt Grossman is going to be joining us. F- seriously, this is this is a really important topic. If if politics tends to frustrate you and you're worried and and frustrated that nothing seems to get done. Let's uh, sit back for the next little while, talk to Dr. Matt Grossman, and you're going to understand why. Polarization exists for a reason, and really it's every uh, – it's it's the political parties fighting for their deepest beliefs, uh, their ideologies. So stick with us. Uh, I think you're going to learn something really important for all of us and maybe even give us some opportunity to figure out what we can do. To, uh, to not continue to push the polarization. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, our next guest, uh, Dr. Matthew Grossman, and uh, another professor, uh, Dr. David Hopkins, you know, they, they're they making the argument that uh, the Democratic and the Republican parties are really different. Duh, right? Everyone's like, well, duh. But no, they're, they're actually trying to prove the differences. And, and it's probably the reason why you see uh, you see this lack of activity going on or uh, any movement in the government, and it might be this polarity. And uh, they're, they're, the research, I mean, how do you prove that? But they're trying to base their beliefs not just in rhetoric, but instead in research. So uh, Dr. Uh, Matt Grossman, he is a researcher, a pro- associate professor of political science at Michigan State University and the new director of the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research at Michigan State uh, University. He's also here um, online to, to b- basically talk about an article that was in Vox magazine, uh, magazine by Ezra Klein. Um, it's, it's fascinating stuff. So we're so grateful to have him. Dr. Matt Grossman, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Seriously, I loved this article, and I love the fact that you're trying to uh, – I guess, uh, you know, validate it in using research methods, the differences between the Republicans and the Democrats. What are you what are you coming up with, Matt? What what are you finding that might be of interest? Well, of course, we know there's uh, differences in uh, issue uh, attitudes uh, and uh, goals in government. But we're trying to show that uh, the Republican Party is much more uh, tied to an ideological movement of conservatism, uh, whereas the Democratic Party is more of a coalition of social groups uh, with different practical concerns uh, in government. And we see that uh, playing out in uh, public opinion, uh, but also in uh, government and in uh, party organi- organizing. Uh, oh. So we're looking at everything we can uh, to try to show uh, those those broad differences and their effects. And because you sit there, you look at the debates with the GOP and the Democrats, and a lot of times I think we just chalk it up to the candidates. That the candidates, um, you know, some just are more charismatic, some are more ideologues, and. Yet when it comes down to it, what you're seeing is there is a distinction between Republican and Democrat. Republicans are very ideologically based. They have they they have a they have a principle. They want to stick to the principle and purity to the principles. What matters? And then I'm I'm hearing in what I and seeing what I read, the Democratic Party more 
uh, they're kind of more movement. They want movement. They want change. They want uh, they're, they're based more in coalitions. They have more, um, I guess, uh, people they're trying to serve, more specific groups they're trying to serve, which makes them constantly pushing for new ideas. That's right. We've actually uh, coded all of the presidential debates, uh, both the uh, general election uh, debates between Republicans and Democrats and the primary, the first and last primary election debates uh, for all of them that we could find uh, to try to look for those differences. Uh, And there are, uh, of course, some differences across candidates, but the broad party differences do show up. That is, uh, the Republican candidates talk a lot more in terms of principles, uh, in terms of uh, broad American values and imagery, uh, whereas Democrats uh, mention more policy proposals. They mention more specific uh, social constituency groups that those proposals are, are targeted uh, to help. Uh, and uh, they uh, have more uh, a, a sense of the sort of practical uh, considerations involved in policymaking, uh, whereas Republicans always talk it, talk uh, back to the principles of conservatism. It's funny, even as you describe what you're seeing academically um, in your research, th- even using the words, for example, Republicans prefer purity kind of, of principle. Uh, they're more ideologues. The, the, you're not even using those terms as a in a derogatory way. You're just saying they haven't they have an ideology and they want to live the ideology. Democrats prefer compromise, which we always think of as a positive word. But you're you're not using these terms. You're just using them to actually describe what they do. That's right. I mean, I think you do hear this uh, from both parties uh, in in more uh, more derogatory language. <laughs> right. so Republican, Republicans would say uh, that you know we're the party of principles, and the Democrats uh, are the party of of gifts for particular constituencies. Right. Uh, and and the Democrats would say uh, you know these are uh, ex- uh, Republicans are, are extreme ideologues, and and we're the the practical policymakers. Right. So so both parties uh, understand this difference. Uh, they uh, obviously put it in their their own terms. But, but and it's funny. That's why we can't even have the conversation. And even as you guys were writing about it and Ezra Klein was writing about it, you it's almost like we have to – look, I'm going to use the word ideologue. I'm not using it in a negative way. So just relax. But I think to understand these differences, it's powerful. So um, go back for a minute and talk to me about um, this idea that – because we use the terms, for example, conservative – uh, Republican. We use the term uh, liberal Democrat. But you can be a conservative Democrat and a liberal Republican. What, what have you found in your research just about those, those labels? Well, certainly uh, Republicans use both labels a lot more, uh, both uh, members of the public uh, in the parties and uh, policymakers. Uh, both uh, on the Republican side use uh, liberal and conservative much more often. Uh, Democrats sometimes say, uh, well, maybe we're just changing the language to progressive, but even if you include those kinds of references, they're nowhere near as common as uh, Republicans' uh, use of those terms. So uh, Republicans really see uh, political debates as a conflict over uh, broad views of the, the role of government in society, and they uh, regularly use not only those terms, uh, but uh, the sort of definitions of those terms as they see them, uh, whereas Democrats are much more likely to see uh, policymaking as uh, a debate over what specifically to do to solve particular social problems that are disproportionately affecting particular groups. Mm. Uh, so you see 
uh, much less often their use of sort of uh, broad values or their defense of, for example, using the government more often uh, to solve social problems. They don't uh, defend it in those broad terms. And you, in your article, um, in Ezra's article, where you were cited so much, they it, there's a uh, a statistic given that 73% of Republican voters say that they are conservative, but only 42% of Democrat voters say they're liberal. Right. So the, uh, there's certainly a difference in, in self-identification, uh, the, the use of those terms, uh, and uh, also in just open-ended responses, how they describe their attachments to the political parties. So uh, not only do Republican voters uh, use the terms more and are willing to consider themselves conservatives, but when they talk about what they like and dislike about the two parties, uh, they continually bring up uh, the ideas behind liberalism and conservatism, and Democrats are much less likely to do that. Hmm. How much of this do you think is perpetuated by, uh, you know, like conservative media and and the media just simply because we're throwing these labels out all the time, these – and so – and the conservative radio talk shows seem to be uh, so, so much, uh, I guess, stronger, so many more listeners. Is, is that impacting uh, this process of polarity or have, have they always been this polarized? Well, certainly we think it's uh, self-reinforcing uh, on, on both sides, and the, the media has a, a lot to, to do with it. Uh, for a very long time, the conservative movement has uh, criticized uh, the mainstream media uh, for uh, being disproportionately uh, full of liberals, and and of course there are uh, more uh, there are disproportionately liberals uh, in the in the reporting profession, and they do the same with uh, academia, where uh, professors are disproportionately liberal, and so they have uh, built alternative institutions, uh, both uh, conservative media and uh, think tanks, uh, to try to store, sort of serve as the alternative of information providers uh, for the Republican Party. Uh, and, in, and in large part, uh, they've uh, succeeded. Uh, Republicans are more likely uh, to rely on uh, their own uh, self-reported uh, uh, self conservative uh, media uh, and, and research. Uh, and uh, those uh, media outlets do uh, regularly reinforce the idea that the mainstream media is liberal uh, and uh, you have to uh, rely on a consciously conservative alternative. <laughs> oh, whole, I was yeah. just going to say there's there's a whole long history of failure uh, to build liberal media. Uh, in print, there's been some success, but certainly on radio, uh, even after lots of money was thrown at Air America. That's right. Alternatives, uh, there just wasn't the audience, uh, both because liberals trust the mainstream media more and because uh, Democrats, uh, the wider constituency, don't necessarily think of themselves as uh, liberals right. uh, with, with liberal uh, media needed. Isn't it? It's, a, it's such a fascinating, uh, I guess, you know, stalemate that we, we've created almost this perfect system where to the degree that the Democrats need to serve their their more their um, higher number of constituencies, like I mean they have all of these different groups, right? All of these different um, specialized needs and and groups that are vying for their attention. And as they go to take care of one of those groups and create legislation, the Republicans dig in because we don't want more government. 
Yeah. So, and I think you know, one sort of basic feature of of government is that it tends to to grow in its scope over time, uh, both uh, uh, internationally and in the United States. So, we usually, uh, rather than debate whether we should get rid of something we are already doing, we usually have debates over what additional things the government should do. Uh, and so the Republican base uh, sort of accurately perceives uh, that they elect representatives and those representatives fail to kind of turn back uh, the state to reduce the size and scope of government. Uh, and so I think that's why you see uh, sort of constant and uh, greater levels of energy on the right uh, to not only uh, against uh, the opposition party, but also against their own party leadership and sort of failing to achieve that goal. Mm. What um, is it true to in your article? Uh, it talked about liberals are might uh, are, are usually creating more policy making. They're doing more policy making, maybe passing more legislation, uh, more laws than the Republicans. Right, and you regularly so yes, the 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 basic patterns are there that you see uh, b- uh, both more legislation and more uh, significant broader legislation uh, when the Democrats control Congress than when the Republicans do. Uh, And you also see sort of more active uh, efforts to uh, pass laws among uh, Democratic uh, leaders than uh, Republican leaders. Um, but uh, you sometimes see Republicans sort of acknowledge that, you know, their goal is not to pass a lot of laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, they want to uh, repeal some. Uh, and I think I was I was just trying to point out that that uh, fits the, the basic pattern of policymaking. Usually, if a new policy is going to happen, it's going to expand the scope of government right. rather than take away uh, something uh, that we already have. And so it's uh, sort of natural that uh, Republicans will be the party that is uh, more amenable to uh, nothing happening <laughs> compared to new laws that pass that uh, expand government. So you hear about all the gridlock, and you're probably then hearing that from Democrats that need to move policy. And the Republicans are semi-happy because we're not creating more policy. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they would say they're happy. I think they would say, you know, they have this broad goal of of reducing the size and scope of government uh, that just hasn't been achieved yet. Uh, But if the choice is between a a new law that's going to expand government and doing nothing, there's a lot more people on the Republican side that are that are willing to 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 side with doing nothing. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, John Boehner passed um, uh, Past what was he? Um, he had a great job. John Boehner was over the House, uh, Speaker of the House. He uh, he he had a quote that you put in there. We ought, or that Ezra put in there. We ought not be judged on how many laws we ought to be judged on how many laws we repeal, which is that philosophy, right? We we shouldn't we should shouldn't be judged on how many laws we're passing, but how many laws. We're repealing, and even as humans, I guess, the ideology is how many laws we don't need because we're just living a healthier, better life. Um, right. So that that echoes a statement that, that Goldwater uh, made in yeah. the 60s and that uh, John Sununu, who was uh, Bush's chief of right. staff, actually said, you know, if, if Congress wants to show up and – uh, uh, vote to adjourn, that's fine with us. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. uh, Whatever. There's sort of a history of that attitude. Well, I guess, too, it could get into why they they might, for ideology, be willing to shut down the government. Right. I think uh, certainly uh, there's uh, more uh, general faith in in government on the Democratic side. And in addition, uh, there's sort of more uh, a view that that brinksmanship uh, might uh, be effective on the Republican side than the Democratic side, because uh, Democrats are sort of always trying uh, sl- small 
expansions of government and uh, major initiatives, uh, and Republicans are are trying to sort of uh, uh, somehow rein rein it in, uh, and uh, so they they view. Uh, the usual policymaking process uh, accurately as uh, a recipe for sort of small expansions of government. And so they're more willing to, to say, let's stop the process. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Matt Grossman um, from Michigan State University. He is the new director of the Institute of uh, for Public Policy and Social Research at MSU. And uh, we're discussing his uh, research in asymmetric politics. And maybe why we're we're kind of we're, we've, we've designed a system that is going to create some gridlock and uh, try to understand it when we come back. Stick with us, folks. More with Dr. Matt Grossman right here on The Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show on the phone with us, Doctor Matt Grossman, and uh, he's he's talking about uh, a theory um, about the asymmetric politics project that he's working on. He's trying to basically, uh, through research, scientific methodology, prove the differences between Republicans and Democrats, and and how they how they end up probably acting as a system, I guess. Um, there, there's this inherent system that's taking place, and th- I mean, think about it. If if the Democrats, for example, have hundreds of small social groups that are their constituencies that they're trying to serve and work with, along with all the voters, but they're still trying to appease and and work with maybe thousands. I don't know the numbers of uh, interest groups, and they're they need to go compromise on policy. With the GOP, who who might have fewer constituencies or you know social groups, but especially even groups that don't necessarily fight against each other on their issues. I mean, the National Rifle Association might not always go head to head with the Chamber of Commerce, right? Or the Right to Life Foundation. So they, they each side has people vying for their attention and reinforcing on the right the ideology, reinforcing on the left the need to compromise and create movement and uh, create policy. So he's, he's studying it, and we're honored to have him uh, on the show with us. For me, truly, it was it's eye-opening to see this uh, backed up academically. Again, Dr. Matt Grossman is an associate professor of political science at Michigan State University and the new director of the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research at MSU. Uh, Dr. Grossman, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be with you. Does this change? Alexa, we get a new president, right? So that'll change everything, right? We get a we get a we get a Donald. Well, let's not use Donald Trump. We get a we get another GOP leader. That'll change the gridlock, won't it? <laughs> Uh, Well, we think that there's uh, this long-running pattern of public opinion that sort of supports uh, both parties. Uh, First, uh, people are conservative in general terms, but they're liberal in specific terms. So you might think about it as they agree with the Republican Party in principle, but they agree with the Democratic Party in practice. Mm. That, That is, they say... 
uh, therefore uh, reducing the size and scope of government uh, and uh, upholding uh, traditional American values. Uh, but when it comes to uh, specific policy issues and the sort of new initiatives on the table, they tend to say, yes, let's uh, not get in, get rid of much that the government is currently doing, and let's expand a little bit in uh, all of these specific areas like education and health care. So I think uh, that tends to support uh, a, a potential majority for, for both uh, parties. Now, you do see a, a backlash uh, when uh, each party comes to power. So uh, we see this in elections where the midterm election following a new president tends to support the other political party. Uh, and uh, we also see trends in public opinion where both of those indicators move against the party of the president. So uh, if the de- when the Democrats uh, got in charge, they uh, passed a whole bunch of new policies like Obamacare, and you immediately saw a conservative reaction in public opinion. Mm. But both those general and specific attitudes, even though they maintain their differences, uh, both moved rightward. So if we were to see a, a, a Ted Cruz or a Marco Rubio uh, president, what we would expect is that they would – uh, move policy in a conservative direction, uh, and uh, they would see, also see a backlash uh, where uh, voters uh, sort of moved more liberal in their uh, public opinions in response to that. Wow. I mean, it, was, it really is a system then. Huh? It, it, it balances itself. When one receives too much power or takes too much power, usurps too much power, it will eventually balance the system in time. Well, certainly that happens in, in public opinion. Uh, we say that the, the public is, is thermostatic. That means they say, well, not too hot, not too hot, not too cold, not too cold, and they sort of react against the direction uh, of uh, public policy. I think uh, the more institutional problem is that uh, we, our institutions are really not set up for, for that. They're not set up for, they're set up for uh, broad compromises, uh, for policymaking to be a slow process where uh, we breach agreement uh, between two chambers and the president. Uh, and so uh, it, that's why uh, you sort of see gridlock uh, where you might not see it in a system where only one party could win uh, at once, uh, like Britain, and would be in charge of the executive and legislative right. uh, branch and be able to enact its program. I mean, you even see it in the debates, right? You see a Ted Cruz who's probably polling more like an ideologue uh, and and unwilling to compromise on certain things, and he was beating up Rubio, who was who had compromised on an immigration deal with Chuck Schumer, and I mean it really is like so to be a moderate would be somebody more in the middle, I guess, willing to compromise a little bit but do it for ideology. It, it really does become and does play out in the actual election. Right, and consistently we see that uh, Republican candidates tend to attack each other for sort of not being conservative enough uh, or being a kind of a fake conservative. So uh, Rubio returned fire against uh, Cruz uh, by uh, talking about his insufficient support for the military. Right, uh, and so you know the, you didn't see a lot of uh, you know I'm <laughs> I'm the more uh, a moderate candidate uh, and I'll uh, be willing to to sacrifice uh, uh, principles in order to get something done. Uh, you really don't see that as a winning argument on the Republican side. <laughs> what, do you, what does the average Joe do? I always like to go to the average Joe, Matt. What, what am I supposed to do when I see this kind of massive shift or this massive just entrenchment? Um, and I feel, you know, I, I, I might consider myself a conservative, but I also feel a, a pang of compassion and love uh, that might be branding me as a liberal <laughs> Um, 
What am I supposed to do to shift any of this? <laughs> well, I think it, it is hard to, to split the difference between uh, the two political parties, uh, especially in a system uh, that is uh, so polarized. Uh, I think uh, that you know each party has sort of a, a problem uh, that they uh, that w- that we argue that they would benefit from 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 working on. For the Republican side, the problem is translating those principles uh, into an active policy agenda uh, that is uh, at least some way achievable and that they can make incremental progress toward, mm. um, which they haven't been able to do. Uh, for the Democrats, it's uh, to to work on what is the broader vision of of government in society uh, that they uh, want to put forward, uh, and can they, can they justify it rather than just sort of say, we need to do this one thing to solve this one problem for this group. Uh, is there some broader vision behind their initiatives uh, that they, they, they want to, to try to sell to the public? Uh, and both parties, uh, for fairly good reasons, have uh, sort of ignored those, those things. They've stuck with their firmer ground right. uh, rather than uh, trying to, to solve uh, where the other party is doing better. Are there, are, are those, I guess that's where a leader comes in, right? So a democratic leader would be able to create the broader vision of purpose of government, explain the true principle, the ideology behind uh, the liberal movement, instead of it just being a scattered movement based on whatever the constituency needed. Um, and the, 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 the leader of the GOP would be able to create action and moderation and movement. Um, is that the role of the leader then? Well, I, I think uh, you know that that would be good for good for democracy if both parties uh, moved toward uh, trying to to solve their their bigger uh, problems with the electorate. But you can see that in any given election or any given policy debate, uh, it's not in the interest of either party uh, to try to to solve their weaknesses. It's in their interest to sort of right. uh, stick with their strengths. So you see uh, Democrats, uh, for example, on the. Uh, Obamacare debate, uh, uh, rather than sort of articulating a general vision, just sort of saying, well, you know, college students are going to be able to stay on their health care for longer, and uh, women are going to be able to get access to birth control, et cetera. Uh, and uh, then Republicans saying, you know, this is a government takeover of health care, and we should have a more private sector, uh, a big, bigger role for the private sector. And so then that's reflected in public opinion. You see people really don't like Obamacare as a package, even if they like a whole bunch of the individual right. provisions. It's so, <laughs> so true. Yeah. So, so I think uh, in, any, in any moment, each party has an incentive to stick with their strength, uh, even though uh, it might be better uh, if uh, we could get them to focus on their weaknesses. Perhaps that is the, the wind beneath Donald Trump's wings is the simple idea that he's perceived – as achieving action. He's, he's perceived as the guy that's going to create movement on the principle. Right. Well, one thing I think I'd point out there is it's just a sign that uh, the Republican electorate, although uh, united around sort of uh, broad goals or the ideas of conservatism, are not uh, necessarily united around the specific policy proposals that might come with that. So uh, Donald Trump, while defining himself as a conservative, has a whole bunch of policy positions that don't really fit with our Hmm. uh, uh, traditional uh, definitions of conservatism, and uh, so does the Republican electorate. So 
that's sort of the opening uh, for him is if he can say, you know, I'm articulating this uh, vision uh, in a way that uh, mixes with uh, some different policy positions that maybe are more popular, like actually expanding Social Security and Medicare, uh, then, uh, you know, then he has that vision. Uh, but another thing I'd say on that is just that, you know, this is uh, not necessarily an American-specific uh, uh, kind of uh, movement we see. Uh, sort of nativist uh, or ethnocentric uh, parties in most other uh, countries uh, and public opinion all around the world uh, in most in, in every industrialized country is is largely uh, sort of anti-immigration uh, and nationalistic uh, and so it's always an opening uh, for uh, a more independent candidate uh, to try to uh, speak to those uh, grievances. Wow, so it's uh, it's it's bigger than just the U.S. Even that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think you see them elsewhere. You just usually see them in uh, minor parties elsewhere in the world. But because we have a two-party system, uh, it means that a lot of these people are either out of the system. Right. <laughs> they think that, that, you know, they accurately perceive that, that both of the major parties have generally been in favor of increased immigration, uh, for example. Um, but it also means that it's a, it's a uh, important faction within uh, – it can be an important faction within the Republican Party. Well, we, uh, we appreciate you. I love the work you're doing. Again, Dr. Matt Grossman. Good luck with the Asymmetric Politics Project. Keep it up. Thank you so much. If you can figure this out, Matt, I'm telling you, you're going to be a billionaire. (laughs) You will know. You will understand the code. That's good stuff. It takes a PhD and a project and a bunch of students helping him to uh, just to understand what's going on with this stuff. Crazy. Interesting, folks, trying to give you the tools you need to make better decisions. Uh, You know, we got to lead better. If, and you got to understand what's going on instead of just being inflamed and enraged about everything that's being said in the world of politics. Anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't that interesting? Quite a quite a battle between your ideology and how many times does this happen to you where you have this idea of the way something needs to be, but you're still compassionate. So you want secure you want security and you want secure borders, and then you see uh, refugees from Syria that need somewhere to go. Right. So am I supposed to stay strong to my principle of secure borders um, or notice how we dichotomize this, make it an either or only two choices. Right. Or am I supposed to let the refugees in from Syria that were being killed and they had to flee Syria? Well, bleeding hearted liberals would just let them in. Just then they'll just terrorize us and kill us all. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or uh, let's have border security and let's tighten up our methods of understanding who these people are to the degree that we can. Well, that's the problem. You can't understand who they are. Well, okay. You can kind of understand who they are. You could, you know, you can learn more. 
there's there's answers, folks, but they they're not going to be answered in the two extremes. And the two extremes have a vested interest to not work with each other. The we see it. We see it on every issue that creates the headaches in this country. You see a very supposedly willing liberal uh, democratic agenda to try to create a change. They're willing to compromise. On, but let's get some legislation passed. And you might see the Republicans less willing to because it just goes against the general principle of more government equals more policies. How on earth do you break that? And the way you break it, I believe, is you need to break it in your own head. You need to start thinking of other answers instead of just watching the news and then getting polarized by what they're saying. Start asking yourself the question, how can I believe in border security and take care of these refugees that need help? And I guess build a wall if that's the the technique or the tool that needs to be used and still be loving and respectful and caring of other human beings and not disrespect a country or a religion because they both can coexist. And until we're bridging that gap, folks, I don't know why we would expect our political parties to bridge it. Anyway, we've got to learn more, right? All of us. We've all got to just open up our minds a little more. And it doesn't mean you got to give in to either side. you got to find a way to bridge both. We'll take a break, folks. That's the first hour of the show. More tools, more ideas next hour right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Oh, Ben, you getting your headset on now? Yes. He gets all engaged in the show all of a sudden. Ben's bored. Did that, I can, did I that can, last hour not enthrall him completely? He's I mean, not, it was it's like he's not into politics. Yeah, well, you know. Ben doesn't. I'm actually really into politics. Are you? Yeah. Why were you sleeping? Because I was trying to visualize what oh, was being said. Yeah. <laughs> I like to visualize my political talk. <laughs> it's a political technique, actually. It's great. Ben, you're a good guy. You know? I try. I don't care what the other producers say. We have meetings, and every day, uh, every Tuesday, and everyone comes to the meeting, but Ben. I, I excused him. I think we've yeah. well, I was, this. this ground is. I think covered. it was uninvited. Well, there was no point because that meeting is about planning for the show, and Ben's responsibility is the show, the operation of the show. It's different. Okay. So do you have an operations meeting with him? Yeah, we'll talk every once in a while. There's one person on the operations. Did staff. you notice he always walks out? He walks out. Right through the thing. I've asked him to go the other way, but he won't. And he, he puts his coat disrupt. on. He just shakes his head and is like, bye. I'm walking. He's like, I don't have to go to the meeting. This guy's walking. Anyway, the girls, the producers still like him. A lot of the female producers still yeah, well. think he's – I'm pretty sure Kaylee thinks she's going to marry him. No, it's more of a – she sees him as like he's 12. Yeah, that's how I'd put it, too. And she can kind of somehow— Why would she want to marry a 12-year-old? She doesn't want to marry. She wants to mentor. <laughs> she thinks she has some life experience at 
what, 23 or whatever she is, to try to try to help bring young Benny, as she calls him, along through life. Yeah. Give him tips. That's cute. Yeah, and I look at her like, eh, I don't I, know what you could add. Ben Ben's what he is. He's almost a finished product here, and that's kind of depressing. Well, we've but... raised him. I mean, we've done we've done great work. <laughs> yeah, I'm. We found there's him. Not much more to do for me. Do you remember when we found him, floating in a basket down the river? That was uh, somebody else. Moses. <laughs> yeah, you're was mixing up Moses? some stories here. <laughs> we found him in a basket. No, shopping cart. Mm-mm. Dumpster. No, he kind of walked in and applied for a job. I swear we raised him. Hmm. Weird. Hey, uh, today's the big day. Star Wars. The Force Awakens. Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Big fans of The Force. Apparently. (laughs) The Force Awakens. By the way, it's going to be screened in space. How cool is this? Leaving Earth just days before the release of Star Wars, The Force Awakens... Seemed like a cruel and unusual punishment for the trio of astronauts who arrived Tuesday at the International Space Station. But astronaut uh, Tim Peake said they won't be missing out on the film when someone on Twitter said that the British astronaut must be gutted to be leaving Earth days before the long-awaited film. Uh, Peake tweeted in reply that the space enthusiasts, um, that uh, Star Wars fans everywhere are going to be jealous, envious. He says we have a projector and a screen on board. And I'm told that at Star Wars will be waiting for us up there. Hmm. Can you imagine watching Star Wars? In space. In space. Yeah. That is cool. Cool thing that is. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't, please. (laughs) That is a cool thing. Yeah, Mm. that'd be a a fun place to watch it. See, I'm telling the story because I thought that that would get your geek vibe up. Like, that would just get you jazzed. Yeah, well... You're kind of you're I not as my jazzed wife, I'm, as I thought. I'm, I'm kind of burned out on the uh, the buildup. Yeah, and you I just, just want. I just want to watch now. It's like when you're going to the prom. You know, you ask a month early. Like and all the, you just all, want to get going. You all just the reviews, have the dance. all the reviews. There was an a worldwide embargo on reviews until yesterday. Yeah, and then they started coming out and. I started avoiding them. I still haven't seen one. People are complaining because they're, oh, I, I keep reading reviews. And I go, you, you have to click on that link on your computer to open the review. When you see the headline, you know that Star Wars keep moving. You have the personal choice not to read. But then they <laughs> complain because it's there. And there's a, a, a Chrome um, extension you can get yeah. for your browser if you use the Chrome browser to block all it's called like force block or something and it'll block any anything dealing with star wars oh good so the the attempt by this this application yeah. is to wipe your everything you see from the internet in your chrome browser just cleanse it of all star just wars cleanse it so you don't have any spoilers good i think everyone ought to do that probably or just you know realize that you're probably going to trip over something hey um not to change the subject. But you're changing the subject anyways. Uh, hoverboards. Love them. Uh, A.K.A. IEDs <laughs> for kids. <laughs> Toys R Us IEDs. Uh, we, we, our friend. Yes, your friend. Our friend that had a hoverboard, A.K.A. IED, kid ID, IED, um, they gave it back. They sold it back. They, so the they per- refund. They got the a refund. The person they got it from? Yeah. 
What did that person say? Because they wanted to get rid of it. They were trying to get rid of it, and they're like, blasted! So when you came back with the money, they went, fine. When we didn't, we had nothing to do with that. Oh, excuse but me. when this unnamed source of my story <laughs> did what said, did, they took theirs back, the person was fine. They didn't want to be part of a... What are those people doing? An accident. I think they're just going to give it back to Amazon, and Amazon will refund their money. Didn't they have multiple hoverboards? Yeah. Okay. But is everyone just afraid they're all going to explode? They're not all going to explode. I know. There's been a few. I know. It's like a it's like a it's like landmines. Yeah. Like let's say there's four landmines. Okay. They're not all going to explode. Mm, those will when you step on. That's what they're designed to do. Well, I, I hoverboards aren't designed. Hoverboards. They're not designed to explode. Okay. They're so, they're designed poorly apparently because some of them do. Yeah. But see, that's to me that intrigue adds to the fun. It's kind of a. The Russian roulette aspect yeah. of hoverboards. Mother, will my board explode? Find out for yourself. I don't Only know. Hop time on it, will tell. Let's plug it in overnight. So there's no hoverboards for Christmas for these individuals. The, this family of people that we know will be hovered boardless. Will they get drones instead? Yes. They've weaponized? decided to get a weaponized drone nice. that shoots fire. The flamethrower one's the best. Mm-hmm. What we, What our friends have decided to do? I almost said we, yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah. What our friends have decided to do, because they have two boys, um, but they're going to get two drones. They're going to get the fire-throwing drone, and they're going to get the water-suppressing drone. Nice. One with them, maybe a mm-hmm. super soaker yeah. on it. Yeah. So one will have kind of a – one child will grow up with a major complex of anger and doing damage, mm-hmm. and the other will be kind of a hero complex. Okay. Of saving, putting out fire, stuff like that. That's well, interesting. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like you got to suppress the other one of them in order to build the other one up. I know. Sometimes you have to sacrifice one child's psyche for the betterment of another child's but psyche. In that case, you only have one child that needs therapy instead of two. That's right. It's See? half the price. It's not bad work. Yeah, but you have double therapy for the mentally unstable one, right? Not really. You know He's what? probably going to end up in therapy anyways. Well, and honestly, once they're out of my house or they're, once they're out of this person's house, <laughs> it's not my problem. Once they're 18, hit the road, kid. Yeah. You're it, done. Paying for your own therapy. Obamacare, they'll pay for it. Is their father already a therapist? No. Oh, really? Don't know what you're talking about. No. Nope. <laughs> not involved. Not involved. Hey, uh, we've got a great topic coming up um, about – Divorce. So divorce during the holidays, that's where it really kind of hits is you now have to deal with the fact that as a kid, you're not going to have your mom and dad together under, you know, under all of these great activities you're going to be doing. So, by the way, it was the only time my parents got together was Christmas morning after they were divorced. And my dad was always there Christmas morning. It was really cool Hmm. with my mother, with my grandmother. Was it weird? Not for me. Okay. It was pretty freaky for my mother. Okay. Just saying. (laughs) She's like, "Uh, why are you here? But that wasn't translated to the kids. No, it was great. Apparently the kids were happy. Everyone's there. And that's why you do that kind of thing. It was way cool. We'd have a great breakfast. It was awesome. So, but it's hard. So what do you do? How do you manage divorce and children during the holidays? Dr. Robert Emery will be joining us on the phone and he's going to walk us through some tools, some things you can do if you've uh, gone through a divorce and you're having some or have had marital issues and how to handle your children. 
just to decrease the stress. We need that. We'll be getting with him in a minute. But before we do that, let's get to the headlines. And Terry South, what's going on around the world, Terry? Thanks, Matt. Federal prosecutors have reportedly opted to bring criminal charges against Enrique Marquez, the friend and former neighbor of Saeed Farouk, one of the two shooters that killed 14 people in San Bernardino this month. According to NBC News, the charges could be filed as early as Thursday. Federal investigators have said that two of the semi, semi-automatic rifles used in the deadly attack were straw purchases made by Marquez and given to Farouk as a favor. On Tuesday, the, two, the shooters behind the December 2nd terrorist attack in San Bernardino were buried in an unidentified cemetery somewhere in Southern California. About 10 people showed up for the burial, and most were relatives of Farouk. An attendee who asked to remain anonymous said that most members of the mosque Saeed uh, Farouk and Tafshin Malik attended refused to come to the graveside funeral, which was guarded by FBI agents. Hmm. So that's taken care of. Secretary of Defense Ash Carter used his personal email account to conduct official government business during his first months at the Pentagon, according to a New York Times report on Wednesday, citing White House and Defense Department officials and copies of the emails. The newspaper found Carter continued to use his account, which violates Defense Department rules, for at least two months after the scandal erupted in March over Hillary Clinton's use of her personal email while she was Secretary of State. Secretary Ash Carter spoke to CBS News about his email. What I did that I shouldn't have been doing uh, until a few months ago was occasionally use my iPhone to send administrative messages, no classified information, and backed up his records. It's it's a mistake, and it's entirely my own. It was unclear how many work-related emails Carter sent and received from his personal email account. I like his style, though. I mean, he's just coming right out. I blew it. I blew it. He goes, I messed up. It's my fault. He's not, you know, he's not arguing it. He's not justifying it. And CBS, CBS kind of lucked out. They were, they happened to be there. The Secretary of Defense was sent by President Obama earlier this week over to Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, one of those areas that our, our military is sitting in, and they were able to grab that interview and talk with them. It was uh, interesting. Behind them, you see the uh, the camp and the desert and all this stuff. So it's kind of an interesting setting. Uh, Martin Screel, I believe is how Ooh. you say it, the 32-year-old chief executive of Turing Pharmaceuticals, who gained infamy for jacking up the price of a life-saving oh, yeah. drug from $750 a dose. He, he put it and made it $750 a pill from $13.50 a pill. Yeah, jacked it up for people that are dying. He said he did it because now we're able to raise a bunch of money and we'll be able to create and develop more life-saving medicine. So that we can be, gouge you on. We can gouge you on that too. So that was his idea. Well, he has been arrested on suspicion that he illegally siphoned shares from a biotech firm he found to pay, founded to pay for unrelated debt. Mm. FBI agents arrested him early Thursday. He was wearing a hoodie as he was escorted from his midtown Manhattan apartment tower. Prosecutors said that he made secret payoffs and set up fake deals wow. from one company to another. And just oh, that's some, a big deal. Yeah, so he could be in some trouble. But you know, you, you, when you saw the interviews with him and he was really unapologetic uh-huh. for this massive markup, like, guy's kind of a jerk. Yeah, he's missing. Yeah, he's missing the point of why people don't like you. They're gonna love him in prison. <laughs> They're going to have a lot of fun. It'll be white collar prison, but still. (laughs) Yeah. Vladimir Putin said Thursday that he welcomes Donald Trump's calls for deeper ties during the Russian president's year end press conference. There you go. Yeah. Putin said that Trump is a very flamboyant man, very talented, no doubt about that. He is an absolute leader of the presidential race as we see it today, Putin said. 
he uh, he says that he wants to move to another level of relations, to deeper level of relations wow. with Russia. How can we not welcome that? Of course we welcome that. Listen to this. You can just see him. Imagine. They're running. They're riding their horses down the beach. Vlad and Donald. Vlad and the Donster. Their hair's flowing. Don's is going every which way. Their chest bare. Just rock solid. Vlad likes the Donald, so... I like his charisma. <laughs> that would be he's very a, called him very talented. Obviously, crazy. the leader. Oh wow! Boom. Okay, fun stuff. Interesting. <sighs> I'm telling you, folks, this is stuff you don't get on any other show. You know what I mean? Who who would do a Don Vlad play by play, setting the visual? On their white horses. On their white horses. Hair blowing in the wind. Who does that but the team at the Matt Townsend Show? Hey, we got a great guest coming up. Dr. Robert Emery will be joining us talking about uh, children at the holidays, but divorce. If you've gone through a divorce, if you're trying to, to you know move on and create a healthy environment for your kids and you're divorced, it can happen, folks. You can do it. He's going to walk us through some keys, some tools that we all need to remember when it comes to divorce and your children, especially at this time of year. This is why I think so many people don't always love the holidays because it, you know, it highlights the differences. It highlights the divisions they've been through. Stick with us, folks. We're taking on the topic. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, divorce can be a nasty thing, and it can be tempting to tell your ex-spouse that you never want to see them again. Uh, But if there are children involved, that's not going to be happening, right? It's nearly impossible, especially during the holidays, to not uh, interact with your uh, ex-spouse. And and it's important for the kids that they that you do interact, and you do so in a healthy, peaceful way. You know, in a divorce or split home, you got a question. How do we bridge these holidays? How do we make it a time of happy memories for your kids instead of a time that will haunt them as they grow older? Professor of psychology and director of the Center for Children, Families, and the Law at the University of Virginia, Dr. Robert Emery, says that divorced couples no longer have a relationship to resolve, but they do have a job to do. He's here on the phone with us to discuss how we can help our kids enjoy the holiday uh, and all the holidays despite... Divorce, Dr. Robert Emery, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm happy to be here with you today, Matt. Great to have you. Hey, and congratulations on your new coaching staff for the football team, uh, uh, all I from BYU. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, thanks for the gift. It's uh, Merry Christmas to you, uh, or Merry Christmas to us, I guess. I know, and by the way, not that it's, but today is uh, re-gifting day. So I guess we BYU re-gifted Bronco to you. He's incredible. I love him, and He's been on the show uh, a couple times. His wife, by the way, is one of our contributors. They're incredible. So I'm jealous because you've got a great person and a great staff. Um, Hey, Robert, talk to me about uh, divorce. You've written the book. Now, my parents divorced when I was younger. And for me, it's uh, one of the greatest things I think they ever did through the divorce 
is that my my father continued and it was it's weird because I've done divorce mediation so this is a very rare thing but my father still continued until I grew older to come to Christmas mornings and watch us open the presents and my mom and my dad and my grandma would we and the kids we'd all be together and still have Christmas time uh, that's a rare thing isn't it it's a rare thing, but uh, you know, the first thing I want to say is congratulations to your dad and to your mom and uh, grandma too for, you know, putting whatever stuff they had going on um, to the side and letting you and uh, whether or whatever siblings you had yeah. you know, really have that special day. Um, and you know, it's 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 rare to actually celebrate holidays together. Although uh, just this week I mediated two arrangements myself, Matt, where we we worked exactly that out. Um, it, it's kind of a transition, you know. This was for for both of these families. It was they just split up this past year, and this is the first Christmas uh, for them apart. And uh, they, you know, it, it's hard to be away from your kids on Christmas Eve, oh. Christmas morning. Yeah. Um, and and it's for kids. It's hard to be away from your your parents, and so. Um, you know, you know, they're working on at least for these this first holiday part to uh, to work to celebrate it together and to keep everything in check so the kids can really have a special day. You you wrote the book on it. You have a book uh, titled "The Truth About Children and Divorce: Dealing with Emotions So You and Your Children Can Thrive." Um, it's that the inability for the parents to move on effectively. I, let's be clear. It it impacts the kids, right? If the if the parents can't co-parent and blend a, a strong co-parenting agreement, it's going to impact the kids one way or another. Oh, you know, it, absolutely. You know, it, it, like you said at the the in my intro there, um, you know, parents don't have a relationship to resolve any longer when they're split, but they they do have a job to do, and that's to um, raise their kids as best they can. And you know, and part of the way I encourage parents to approach that is is like it's a job to to treat their ex more like a business partner than a, than a former lover. You know, mm-hmm. to be polite, to be objective, uh, to be focused on uh, their joint endeavor, which is is raising kids. Because because it's an emotional time of year for kids. Uh, it's a very emotional time of year for for parents too. Do you think there's a difference between um, maybe a couple that's mediated their divorce? versus litigated. It seems like sometimes those that have litigated the divorce, they're not as much on the same page because uh, mediation has a benefit of, of talking together and kind of negotiating, working your way and resolving it as you go um, versus in a, in a litigated divorce. It, sometimes it's you have decisions thrust upon you. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and uh, Matt, this is where I've, I've spent uh, actually 12 years of my academic career where I did a study where I flipped the coin and half the parents went into mediation and half went into litigation. And, and I followed them for, for 12 years. And making that initial start to really to put kids first, to put your own emotions second, to find a way to work together as parents, even though you can't be together as, as husband and wife, we, we found it made a huge difference for uh, parents, uh, for their relationship with each other, for parent-child relationships, and, and, and for kids fully 12 years down the road. So, so, so how you go about this from the very beginning uh, makes uh, a huge difference. Mm. But, but I, I want to say one thing, um, be really clear about one thing, because um, people have misconceptions about mediation, and, and that is, is that kind of 
mediating with your ex is is really doing something that's emotionally unnatural. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the natural thing to want to do when you split up and you're hurt is you want to hurt back, right? You're you're angry, um, and and you want to take it out on, on your ex. And unfortunately, that's what happens too often in, in courts. So people go into mediation, they they're they're hurt, they're angry, um, but they you know the the process. Uh, helps them to find a way to, to do what we're talking about is to, to um, uh, well, the, the way I say it sometimes is to, to love your kids more than you may hate your ex. That's, I mean, that, that really is it. And it's, I mean, I just saw it and, and it's a hard thing for a child to, um, you know, need to leave uh, one like Christmas Eve and say goodbye to mom and go see dad for Christmas Eve and then, you know, come back Christmas morning and say goodbye to dad and be with mom. I mean, if you have to, there's that because you feel bad for both of them. And sometimes parents play that up. You know, they 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 show their emotion. Is it uh, what, what do you recommend about this? Because this is a, this is part of the agreement is we're going to make it fair. We're going to see the kids in, in a fair way, kind of an equitable way, usually over these holidays. What do you recommend we are the steps we take to make sure it's fair and that we as parents aren't creating problems for the kids? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I guess I want to be clear is while it's great, like uh, your folks did, uh, if you can actually celebrate some of the time around holidays together, um, you know, that's not my goal for everybody. Right. I, I know that's not going to happen. Um, but even if you're splitting things up, you know, if the kids are going from mom's house to dad's house on, you know, Christmas morning, um, there, there's ways to do it that it's going to make it easier for the kids. So um, you can say as the kids are heading off to the other parent's house that, you know, have a great time, you know, make sure you wish dad a Merry Christmas for, from me. Uh, maybe even there's even a little Christmas present, like don't forget to give them the present that we got together yeah. uh, for him. Um, and, and so that really facilitates uh, the transition for kids. It gives them permission to uh, have fun with the other parent, and it just keeps the. It, it's really in the spirit of the season, right? The spirit. The season's all about giving and sharing. Mm. And it has to be um, forethought, it, right? I mean, this is planning, right? That's what I've learned in a lot of co-parenting uh, mediations. It's it's anticipating what's coming up. You shouldn't be surprised or even surprising each other on what activities or when you're going to have the kids. We should know that well in advance. Yeah, you want to you you do want to have the uh the details worked out um, you know, weeks if not months in advance. You don't want to be wondering and kids don't want to be wondering where they're going to be on the the day before Christmas. Um and so it, it really is important to to do the details. Um, and just if there's somebody out there listening right now, Matt, and, and they don't have a time to get a hold of the truth about children and divorce, I have a website uh, called emoryondivorce.com. And if you go there, you can click on a link that says 10 tips for the holidays. And, and it gives you some really pretty practical tips that includes things like, you know, doing the details and getting into the spirit of the season. Mm, I love that. Let's, in fact, let's do this, uh, Robert. Let's take a break, come back, have you start going through some of those tips with us so that we can get some of that information out there and and everyone else go to the website emoryondivorce.com emoryondivorce.com and uh, you can pick up the book also pick up the the uh, the top 10 tips folks it's it's divorce if you've made the decision to divorce you can still strengthen your ability to co-parent 
and uh, co-parent through this holiday time, you know, less trauma, more joy. Um, powerful, powerful opportunity for all of us. We'll be right back. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, divorce, it, uh, it's, it's a part of life, and it's a hard part, especially if you're the child of parents that are divorcing, because you don't, you don't have control over much of this. You have desires. I remember thinking, I don't get it. How come I can love my parents, but they can't love each other? What is their deal? So joining us on the phone is uh, Dr. Robert Emery from the University of of Virginia, and he is the author of the book, The Truth About Children and Divorce, Dealing with the Emotions So you can, Your Children Can Thrive, So You and Your Children Can Thrive. And he's walking us through um, a list he's put together, Top 10 Tips for the Holidays. You can get that if you go to his website, emeryondivorce.com. Emery on Divorce. He's got a whole uh, planning for holidays section that can help you with that. Dr. Robert Emery, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. And one thing just to say quickly about the website, yeah. it's absolutely free of charge. That's, that's see, and that, again, more resources, more tools. Part of this is just we don't know, and that's what I've I found in my own practice. Most people don't know how to do this. They don't know how to talk, They and that's one reason they're divorcing. And then all of a sudden we've got a divorce, and we don't talk through it, and it, it sets up other problems so we don't heal. Um, when it comes to the holidays, what are some of your top tips that you would recommend that we as parents, if you're divorced, what should we be doing just to stay uh, strong in co-parenting and healthy? Sure. Yeah, I guess I'd start right at the top of the list, Matt. And, and the f- number one is remember that the holidays are not all about you. you. Your children deserve their celebrations, even if you feel cheated out of yours. Yeah. Um, and really what that's all about is uh, – well, two things is, is – uh, you know, keeping as much as possible your own emotions out of it. And, of course, it's lonely for, for you. Um, and it's, you know, putting kids first, putting kids ahead of uh, your own feelings. Um, and that's really, to me, that's what parenting is, is all about, is you, we're constantly making sacrifices for our kids. And, and, and this, is, this is a tough one, but it's one that we, we do want our kids to remember Christmas as a happy time, not as a time that, you know, their mom and I were, were, were fighting with each other. Right. And it's, it's probably not the best time to um, file for divorce. I mean, maybe you got to file when you file, but, you know, the kids don't always have to know everything either, right? I mean, it, it's, yeah, a, it's it, a hard it, time to make the decision. Uh, it, it's a really hard time to make a decision, but in, in the kids don't have to know, too, um, you know, even if you're pretending, you know, if right. you're putting on a happy face. Uh, you know that's okay. Um, the, the the kids don't need to know all the things that we're we're feeling underneath, particularly if they're they're younger kids. Um, and 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 who knows? You know, if you put a smile on your face and pretend a little bit, maybe you'll actually help yourself out as well as helping mm-hmm. the kids out too. And and um, you you make a great point in your article about the fact that the this season Christmas season is a it's a time that brings a lot of powerful spirit. And um, and there's a lot of things we can do just simply because of the season 
that would be healing for the family? You know, absolutely. And that, that's number two on my list, get in the spirit of the season. And, and right, I haven't done it yet this year, but, but every uh, year I, I watch uh, A Christmas Carol, you know, the story of Scrooge mm-hmm. one more time, just to remind myself um, uh, how important it is to, to uh, start fresh and to remember what's, what really is important in life. Uh, you know, not getting caught up in the day-to-day grind, not being selfish. We're truly putting other, other people first. Um, and, for, you know, for all of us, and, and even if you've gone through just a horrible year, uh, this is a time to, to really rethink what your values are, uh, the person you want to be, the, the sort of parent that you want to be. Uh, and so uh, I encourage parents to, to get into that spirit. Um, again, you're not doing this for your ex. You're doing this for your kids. And, you know, your kids are your ex's kids, too. That's right. And in fact, another lesson, which is your third point, is um, uh, from Scrooge, is that love means far more than money. I mean, a lot of times you hear about the Disneyland dad or, you know, people, because they're not getting as much time, they throw more resources at it. What, what's the downside to that? Yeah, well, uh, one part of it is is that uh, sometimes it for for some parents, you know, it becomes a competition between them. You know, right. who, you know, can I give the kids something more special? Can I spend more money on them? Can I win them over to my side through, you know, all sorts of material things? And you know, really, if you sit back and think about it, is that the lesson you want to give to your your kids? Materialism, competition. Uh, I don't think that's what uh, the the message of the, it's, uh, the season is all about. It's really pretty much the the opposite of that. Um, and uh, you know, some somebody out there might be saying is just they're saying, well, you know, I can't uh, I can't give time to my kids this season. I'm not even with them. Um, and that gets me down to to another lesson of my tip is, you know, Christmas doesn't have to be just on. December 25th. Right. Um, you can, if you need to, you can establish new traditions with, with your kids. And maybe you're celebrating Christmas on New Year's Eve. Um, but if you may, you know, if you're, you can turn that New Year's Eve Christmas into misery if you make it miserable, or you can make it uh, something that be, is just as joyous as, as Christmas Eve was. And that's that's important for both parents, right? I mean, if, because if, if we could establish some traditions and some some patterns to doing this, then the other partner doesn't have to just sit home alone in their apartment lonely. I mean, they could actually go out with friends, plan their own activities, and and create an activity so they they are moving on in their lives as well. Yeah, exactly, and it gives them something to to look forward to. You know, I, I, I'm sure your your listen, you and your listeners uh, have the same experience. You know, uh, I, I'm a big traditions guy, no, no matter what it is, and. You know, nobody remembers what they did in you know, 2015, but if you've had a tradition you've done year in, year out, if you've, you know, uh, uh, that's that's what you remember. You say, oh, yeah, we always celebrated Christmas. It was weird, but we always celebrated Christmas with Dad, you know, on the, on the 28th, but right. we always did X, Y, and Z, right? And if you can make it something special it will be something special. And really, that's what we're looking for. That's it. And and well, I guess uh, your fifth point is communicate and coordinate with the, your children's other parent. That that really, to me, is the rub because that, in a way, that might be one of the reasons why you're not married is because you couldn't communicate and coordinate. But of all times to learn to do it, now. Now we got to do it. Now you got to do it. And, and, and as we were talking, you have to communicate 
uh, in in a business-like way. You don't have to work out all the stuff that you couldn't work out, right? Uh, you're certainly not going to work that out. But you can say, hey, here's the list of things that I want to get, um, and this is what's coming from, from my side or coming for, you know, as Santa's helper. I don't want to give away any messages, depending how young we're, yeah. your listeners may be. Um, but, uh, and, and so uh, Santa doesn't bring the same gift to two different houses. You know, uh, Let's make Santa a little brighter than that. Yeah. Or even just details like uh, you know, we're planning to have a big dinner so that you're not disappointed that kids show up at your house and you've got the big dinner planned, but they just finished having a big dinner. Um, and it's possible to do that in a text or an email. Uh, and, and one little tip on that, if you're, if you're texting and emailing with your uh, ex, you know, keep it to about two or three sentences because if it's longer than that, you're getting into things that aren't about the details of Christmas. Oh, it's so true. It's so, it's so true. Um, again, we're speaking with Robert Emery, Dr. Robert Emery, the author of the book, The Truth About Children and Divorce. He's walking us through some points uh, that we need to remember. If if you've gone through a divorce, we still need to not just be civil and um, and uh, and supportive of our ex we need to we need to be really effective at it the the more i always just look at it the more effective we are um at, at this process really that we're only investing in our family we're only investing in our children and and i remember it vividly for example um we would go to my grandmother's house my mother's mother's home and i would hear my grandmother talk so positively about my father even though my parents were divorced, so his mother, his mother-in-law, ex-mother-in-law, would rave about him. And as I would sit there as a boy, I would hear really positive stuff about my dad, and I realized, this is cool. He's a good guy. Mom and dad couldn't get along. So I guess that's one of the things we, we could also facilitate is make sure that the family, the extended family, that everyone's still being positive about the other spouse publicly. And privately, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, privately, I don't care if you're less, less yeah. not 100 percent privately. That's true. Yeah, but pu- publicly, you know, around the kids, and and I think for exactly the reason you you share with with everybody, Matt, is from a child's perspective, you don't want to hear somebody putting your father down. No. And, and and really, if a child hears somebody, you know, whether it's uh, their grandmother or whoever putting their dad down, they're not only criticizing their dad, they're criticizing you as yeah. a child. Half because, of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's your that's your DNA. Oh, it's huge. Yeah, and, and, and thing, Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead, Robert. Well, another thing I just wanted to mention when you bring up extended family is, you know, that's another job for divorced parents because it's not just about the the two parents. You know, this is time of year we do get together with extended family. So, you know, make sure you fill them in on the plan and, uh, you know, make sure you find a place for them, too, because this really is an important time of year for kids to see mom and dad. That's priority number one. But it is important for them to get to see – Grandma and Grandpa and Uncle Joey and yeah. you know, and so on. So, you know, make them a part of the plan too, and and maybe ask them if they can be a little bit flexible with you because you know because planning everything out is a little bit trickier for you this year. It's a um, I've always felt that you know it's I mean maybe it's not the ideal. We want to keep our families together if we can and keep them healthy together, 
But there is a benefit to having a strong uh, – having these couples move on and create strong families of their own because for the child, it means they have two sets of parents, four parents, and more grandparents and more people that could possibly be there to love them and be supporting and supportive. So, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't have to just be ugly. I guess that's the key to this whole thing. And and the spirit of Christmas is probably the the number one thing to break that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I don't want to underplay that uh, divorce can be just so painful for for anybody to to go through. I'm not right. trying to paint a happy face on this whole process. Um, but what what I am trying to say is, you know, if there's kids involved, uh, you've got to find a way to be bigger um, than than their, than your own emotions. And uh, yeah, and this is a good time of year to, you know, if you haven't been doing it right, this is a good time of year to do a little soul searching and say, well, maybe 2016 is going to be a little bit different. Mm. And maybe it's time if you need it, go get some therapy, go get some help, do whatever you can to to learn and to lighten the burden so you don't have to keep carrying the history of pain. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, when you need a little bit of help, uh, you know, you're not being weak to ask for help. Actually, you're being strong. If you recognize you need it, go get it. No, absolutely. Is And you've seen it then. I, uh, help us have some hope, Robert. You've seen families, couples um, that are able to co-parent in incredibly ha- happy ways, still go to each other, children's games, even sit by each other. It, it's doable. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've not seen families. I, and I've studied that. I've, I've proved this scientifically. And, you know, I've been doing this, uh, you know, a long time. And, and I've seen not just a few families. I've seen thousands of families being able to do it. And I've seen the ones who haven't done it so well. And let me tell you, you want to be in the group that's doing it right. You don't yeah. want to be in the group that's doing it wrong. Yeah. No, that's and that's great advice. And I think your website would help a lot. Again, um, the website is emeryondivorce.com, and when you get there, you can find his book, The Truth About Children and Divorce. You can also look through his blogs and other studies and information about grieving through this. Dr. Robert Emery, we so appreciate you. Keep up the great work, and have a happy holidays. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, too, Matt. You bet. Thank you. And good luck with Bronco Mendenhall, too. That's awesome. Uh, interesting, interesting stuff. I mean, divorce is hard. Let's be real. It's tough. And... If it's where you are, if it's what you're doing, do it well. Do it right. Uh, get the help you need to, to heal. I'm telling you, it can it can create some pretty strong, uh, healthy children as well. I see it in my own family. Um, just it it took it took us uh, to a different level, I think, in life. Uh, even more responsible, more mature, um, simply because we we went through that process together. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, Celebrating the holidays. Uh, We've got a million different ways to do it because there's so many different types of families, and we're trying to help give you the tools, the information you need to grow healthier and stronger. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
you know, divorce, it's tough. It really is. And, and it gets it, it gets magnified. The uh, your the benefits and the um, consequences, the negative consequences that come from the divorce will be magnified during the holiday season. It's like it's just if you're lonely, you're going to feel lonelier. If you're relieved, you're going to feel more relief. Um, however, the kids don't feel what you feel as a parent. And again, one of the greatest gifts I had, and it didn't happen forever, but when my parents, they were separated and then they divorced. And for a while, uh, for years, my dad would show up. In fact, that's the first time I received evidence that there is a Santa Claus. Because he'd show up on uh, the, in the morning uh, at our house, my dad would, and I, he, I went out to help him bring some stuff in, and I looked up on my roof, and I could see little uh, reindeer paw prints on my roof. Totally weird. And I remember my dad pointed it out. Look, there's reindeer paw prints on the roof. And I'm like, no way. Like, I was about to give up on the idea of Santa, but paw prints, sled marks, totally weird. It gave you five more years of belief. Yeah. And I think at that time, we didn't even have a chimney. So he somehow came down the air conditioning duct. Well, have you seen the movie The Santa Claus? No. Really? Yeah, I don't watch movies. Oh, it, it explains that perfectly. Oh, really? Yeah. What's the name of the anti-Santa? Krampus. Yeah. I love the movie Krampus. 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 Hey, that was a pretty good pronunciation. Thank you. Getting good at German. Yeah, Terry shook his head no. Um, So anyway, dads, moms, take care of your kids. It's not about you. And moms and dads, don't treat your kids like they're friends. Don't talk to them like they're your friends. They don't need to hear your pains. They don't need to hear your fears. Be the parent. Step up. Do your role. And get the help you need. I'm telling you. I started as a divorce mediator, and I would just teach people skills, communication skills, in order to divorce them. And I realized as we were doing it, they got really good at talking. They were the happiest divorcing people you've ever seen. And then I thought, why don't we just start teaching them how to do this before they divorce? So whether you are divorcing or not, can I just suggest a great present for the family is go learn how to communicate before you divorce. Then you can use those skills throughout the divorce if you need to or at least to to co-parent. It's powerful stuff. You can't get away from those principles. We will take a break, folks. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. One more hour. Tons of good stuff coming up. Uh, Stick with us. We're also going to be going down to uh, next hour. Talk to the guys at BYU Sports Nation. They're in Vegas for the bowl. Interesting stuff. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach. 
your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we bring you the information, the tools, the ideas you need to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. At some point, you know, we all got to lead a healthier life. Coming up today, we're going to be talking about how to get your problem relatives to behave during a holiday dinner. Uh, first tool, t- taser. A taser? That'll work? Taser? I Tran- hardly tra- know her. Tranquilizer darts work. Trank darts. <laughs> Cough syrup in the in whenever they're drinking just to kind yeah. of knock them out if you're just tired of no, them. Go to sleep. Have some more of the eggnog. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's sad. Hey, Ben, have you ever made eggnog ice cream? No, but I want to. I've tasted it before. Why don't we do that? Let's do that. Yeah? Let us do that. Yes. For the show. Let's have that ready for when do you come back? On the 20th. Perfect. So will Terry just give like a play-by-play of what's happening with the ice cream? Well, let's not make it. You have it made. Oh. And just bring it. And then we'll sample it. Okay. Let's sample yeah. it. We'll do a big eggnog sampling. Nobody wants to hear us make ice cream. No. Yeah, I was a little confused about yeah, that. I got that. But I said, let us do it as if I would be there. But I will not be there. But I think it would be great if you were there and you did it. And then you brought it and we sampled it. Not sample. Sample sounds like a small amount. Oh, right. And, you, we, and you, we consumed bowls of it. You would like a large amount of eggnog ice cream. And I don't want to – I'm not – you're not taking an order here. I'm just suggesting if you want free airtime about your ice cream. Bring in buckets of it. <laughs> and if it's good, I could take it to my family. I have a family that they talk to a lot of people. So is this like product placement on the show? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of native advertising. It's We've native talked about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. We'll just eat ice cream and talk about how great it is. Oh, by the way, did you know this is the name of the brand? Yeah. Wow. I'm just saying. I, I'm here to help. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, what else are we doing today? We've got uh, BYU Sports Nation down in Vegas. We're going to talk to them about uh, Ken Niamatololo. That was probably as close as you've ever gotten to the name. I know. It's because I recorded it earlier and we just played it. Okay. Um, he's not going to be the coach. No, he's Navy's turned down the job. head coach turned it down. So we'll find out what that means. I mean, it means they don't have a coach yet, and that he's today. not going to be the coach. Yeah, that's yeah. what it means. I mean, well, it means it, it means they're going to the next guy. Sorry to spoil the next show coming up, but uh, that's Man. what it means. You're, you're negative. I always love the tease on the power stuff like of that. the a tease. What does it mean that this happened? Well, what it means is there's a Twitter account called um, what's it? It's like I clicked it for you or something like that, and it goes through it. And whenever someone puts that kind of a, a title out there, like what does this mean? It just tells you what it means. I <laughs> oh, see. Oh, <laughs> it spoils it's, the uh, the leading headline. Yeah. See, that's not good. And then people, as a that, producer, you should know you shouldn't do that. And then I've heard people get mad. On like podcasts and things, as they talk about this this account because it makes it so people don't go to their website because they right. already know the answer, right? So they don't get that click. <laughs> There's no traffic, man. But it is pretty funny. I laugh. It's good stuff. Did you hear about uh, this? Tell me if you would eat this. A New York oh, restaurant, yeah, absolutely, unveils pizza oh, with the ultimate topping. What is it? Pizza, pizza with a pizza <laughs> topping. Oh, absolutely. Listen to the children; they love it. Isn't that a calzone? No, no. No, this is pizza. Uh-huh. Deep dish with pizza. 
Yeah, a calzone is, is like pre-folded well, over. Yeah, that's like folded. You don't. Okay, okay. This is let, let's, let's. But couldn't re- you make take a calzone and just put pizza on top of it? Ooh. Well, yeah, you could. You'd well, have pizza stuffed pizza. You're paying mm. for the convenience. All uh, right. <laughs> it's like a pizza hoagie. It's all clean, and you're not going to get pizza all over, but you have pizza. So check this out. Or you just roll up a pizza. It has mini pizza slices on top of it. Okay. And the mini slices also have mini slices on them. Oh, wow. So it's like... It's like Inception. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, that movie Inception that people are still confused about. It's pizza. It's Inception pizza. The mini Vinny pie is the work of Vinny's Pizzeria in Brooklyn. Is time the same for the... You're saying there's a pizza on a pizza on a little pizza. Little slice on a little slice the on a third little slice pizza, on a little d- slice. Does it... Does it realize time the same way we do, or yes. does it slow down? No, it is it, digested you... the exact same way as wow. the bigger pieces. That's interesting. So that kind of goes time... flies in the face of Inception, because <laughs> yeah. time slows down, right. not to spoil no. the movie. But no, no, time no, no. slows down as you go into the different levels. Once you go into the colon, <laughs> every about. level of the pizza is treated the same, and time is the same for all levels. An equal opportunity so digester. Is the colon kind of like limbo? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. For for a bit. For a couple of days. Anyway, each mini slice has its own toppings. Oh, doesn't that sound good? It's only five bucks a slice. Mini Vinny Pie. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Mm. That sounds good. Uh, anyway, I digress. But it sounds so good. So we will be getting with uh, with Dr. Mark Golston in just a few minutes. How to handle the you know the problem problem relatives when you're having your holiday dinner? Non medicated version. Yeah, you, it, all the legal methods to handling the difficult person you're going to come well, across. Wouldn't you just kind of maybe not invite the difficult person? Well, but what if you are the difficult person? Well, I know I'm or the what, difficult what if, person. What if they're the father or they're... Okay. You I get, yeah. you, you, would they have to be there. Yeah, they probably have to be there because somebody is not going to see them as a person that is so difficult. Like their spouse might think, oh, he's just teasing you. I try to just not talk about things that are controversial. What do you talk about? Everything but politics. Everyone's fine with pretty much every topic except No, there's certain my grandma politics. taught me there's certain topics. Religion, hmm. don't talk about. Well, I mean, politics, if everyone's the same religion. Don't talk cool. about money. Okay. Don't bring up money. Well, yeah. That started a fight in our family this week. Uh uh sex. Okay. Don't go there. It's a little awkward, yeah. Um uh, don't bring up Muslims. That okay. starts fights now. Okay. I guess you're right. Don't bring it's, up border policies. There's even more. Do you want me to keep going? Topic. No, well, most of that's politics. Well, you call it politics, yeah. but it's really global. But most of it, if you just look at it as politics, it covers a lot of topics, yeah. and you just shove those aside, and everyone talks about the weather, and it's happy. Yeah, and then you have a hug. Yeah, and everyone's great, and it's Christmas. It, it doesn't have to go ugly. And if it does... And it's hot outside. Then go get some of Vinny's... Mini Vinny Pie. Mini Vinny Pie. Mm. And you can have the Inception pizza discussion. Right. And, and half the room's confused because they didn't watch the movie. I know. But it doesn't matter because I clarified. Once the pizza goes in your mouth, all time is equal. Give it a couple days. Again, more information that you don't get on other stations, folks. We're here to lift you up. 
to help you see the good in the world. And to do even more of that, let's turn to Terry South and find out what's going on in the headlines, Terry. Thanks, Matt. The chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee is looking into the possibility that Senator Ted Cruz revealed classified information during Tuesday night's Republican debate, The Hill Reports. Cruz was arguing with Senator Marco Rubio when he said that the new, the old National Security Agency surveillance program covered 20 or 30 percent of phone numbers, while the new program covered nearly 100 percent of phone numbers. In that exchange, if you remember from the debate, at that point... Senator uh, Rubio looked at Cruz and goes, well, I don't know if standing in front of 15 million people is the right place to reveal uh, classified information. And Cruz went, "Uh," and then this was the next day. What I said last night has been widely reported. It's been saturated in the public sphere. And this is another example of the Rubio campaign trying to spread misinformation. So he denies that it's classified, but apparently it's uh, different colors and variations. Isn't there there a head classifier that classifies everything that is the head and he's that he or she is the head and they're just the classiest of the classifiers the intelligence committee chairman senator richard burr of north carolina told reporters afterwards i'm having my staff look at the transcripts of the debate right now we will figure out if this is was. he the guy he's the guy he's the guy okay well there you his go. jobs to check and make sure no one leaks any classified one data so classy dude find that quite interesting. The Federal Reserve announced Wednesday afternoon that it will be raising interest rates for the first time since early 2006. The hike was widely expected, but it still ends an unprecedented seven-year run at zero targets since the onset of the Great Recession. According to the statement, a solid majority of the officials who vote on Fed policy believe the economic recovery is now strong enough to merit the increase. It's a good sign, I guess. That's what they say. The judge in the hearing of the Baltimore police officer, William Porter, declared a mistrial because the jury could not come to a unanimous agreement on any of the four charges Porter faced during the death of Freddie Gray. After the mistrial was declared, Gray's stepfather, Richard Shipley, thanked the jurors for their service and said the family was not at all upset with them and neither should the public be upset. We're very trying all these effort to keep the place calm. Let's yeah, not have the, the public unrest that they had. Earlier this year, um, it says uh, peaceful protesters gathered in front of the Baltimore City Circuit Court after the mistrial was declared. Two activists were arrested for failing to obey lawful ordered disorderly conduct, and somebody had a bullhorn outside the courthouse, and apparently you can't do that. <laughs> so they arrested that guy, too. Um, so it was very orderly, but, you know, there's some tension there because they want to make sure that the law is followed right. and the, these police officers face whatever justice they should depending on what the the court comes to, whatever the decision there is. The United States and Cuba reached a preliminary agreement in Washington on Wednesday to resume direct commercial flights. The news came the day before the two countries marked the first anniversary of the deal to normalize relations. Cuban and American officials said they hope to have a formalized deal in the coming days that could pave the way for U.S. airlines to begin flying to Cuba in the next few months. Oh, wow. So if you want to have a new vacation spot. Cuba. Go to a country with 1950s automobiles everywhere. How cool is that? Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will be adding Cheap Trick, NWA, Chicago, Steve Miller, and Deep Purple to its ranks. This is from the New York Times. Cheap Trick, Chicago, and Steve Miller were all first-time nominees. NWA is only the fifth hip-hop group to be added to the Hall of Fame following Grandmaster Flash, Run DMC, The Beastie Boys, and Public Enemy. I don't know what you're talking about. I understood. <laughs> What are you talking about? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. They're adding rap groups. Geesh. I am so out of the loop on that. On what? Rap. I just named a bunch of just like 
Grandmaster Flash, you've never heard of that? Mm-mm. Run DMC? No. Run DMC, run! We played some Run DMC just yesterday. Did I like it? I don't know. It was a Christmas song. Yeah, don't remember it. You remember that one? The Beastie Boys? Oh, yeah. That's okay. not a rap group. Yeah, it is. Are they? Yes. That's rap. And Public Enemy. Yeah, no. Really? Nope. There, there was a, a large part of my life where people were really offended by them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't. But see, you know what? I used to. I used to. Which is a good sign for rock and roll. You're supposed to be anti-establishment, right? But I had a life. Okay. This was just in the news. Yeah. And you have to listen to it. You know, I was going to school, raising my kids. <laughs> I just didn't get into the rap movement. Sorry. Ben's shaking his head like he knows about it. He doesn't know a rap group if it kicked him in the nose. <laughs> Do you, Ben? No, okay. I, I know rap groups. No, see, I rest my case. Little Wayne, Eminem. Okay, Lil Wayne, John Wayne, Beastie Boys. No, Eminem, great candy. You don't know. Um, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Mark Goulston will be joining us talking about how to get rid, not get rid, but how to manage your problem, problem relatives, the ones that don't know how to not offend, how to handle all that. You don't have to get mad. You don't have to get even. You just get effective. We'll talk about it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, whether it's an in-law, a distant cousin, or a random neighbor that invites himself over every year, you're more than likely to encounter a Grinch this Christmas. There seems to always be that one person at the holiday dinners who has to make things miserable for everyone else. Uh, you know, they're easy to upset, hard to please. So how can you keep your cool this season and enjoy your holiday no matter who shows up for the holiday dinner? Dr. Mark Goulston is joining us. He's a nationally acclaimed psychiatrist and author of Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Impossible People in Your Life. And he joins us, actually rejoins us. He's been on the show before and joins us today to, again to talk about uh, some of the principles of uh, emotional intelligence and how you can use them to deal with the difficult person through the holiday season. Dr. Mark Goulston, welcome back to the show, my friend. It's always good to be back, Matt. Great uh, having and, you. And, and you are, friend. Uh, talking to crazy, how to deal with irrational people, the whole basis of it is leaning into people's craziness. Now, that doesn't mean agreeing with it, but often what's happening is uh, that when people act crazy, they get the better of us because we tend to pull away. They And if they tend to see us pulling away or they smell fear, they attack. Yeah. And what's, what's good to keep in mind is that unless the person is dyed in the wool evil, which you should have nothing to do with, uh, that to them, the way they're acting is perfectly rational to get what they need. And when you're dealing with problem relatives, friends, coworkers who are uh, acting up during the holidays at parties, Something to keep in mind is nearly all of these people feel that the world has done them wrong and the world is treating them as if they're unimportant and their gift to themselves is I'm going to get even with the world by spoiling people's joyous times. (laughs) 
and I'm going to do it like clockwork. Right. It's a pattern, right? You can see the pattern. You, it, it, so this should help you if you if you kind of see that they do it anyway, so you can anticipate it. Well, that that's an important thing also. When you're dealing with these kinds of people, one of the first steps is always know ahead of time uh, that they're the ones who will nearly always resort to this difficult behavior. That's because you don't want to be caught blindsided. And if they have a history of always spoiling people's times, then don't expect them not to. Instead, hold yourself back and you'll uh, react less strongly. But, but here's the clincher. Uh, and we have time, so I'm glad we're speaking about it today, yeah. is uh, with regard to, say, Christmas or New Year's, have the male of the house, if there is a male available uh, involved with this party, uh, or someone at your workplace, call the difficult person right about now. And what you say to that person is, and we'll call that person Joe. You reach out and you say, Joe, uh, this is Mark. Um, I need your help with something. So, uh, uh, And that's why you have a male calling, because very rarely does a male ask for help. Mm. It's disarming. And you say, Joe, I need your help with something. Uh, you know, we have this holiday party coming up, and you're very important. Uh, and that, and the important word is also disarming. And you're not really saying what you think, which is you're really important, and we haven't figured out how to disinvite you. <laughs> uh, but you're really important because you're there every year. And I'd like your help because we don't know what people are going through. We don't know whose family has cancer. We don't know who's going through bankruptcy. We don't know who's going through a divorce. We don't know who's, who has a kid in rehab. We just don't know. And since you're an important and regular person, uh, I'm reaching out to you so that when the party starts after you arrive, you know, when you hear the bell ring, go greet the person, say hello to them, take their coat, uh, uh, maybe say, can I get you a drink? How's your year going? Good to see you. Hmm. Uh, and I'd like very much for you to do that because I'll be busy doing everything and I can't go to the door each time. And some people are just outside waiting. And if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, the worst thing Joe is going to say, especially when you're doing this ahead of time, is, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's not going to say, wait, you're spoiling my party for me. I, I wait all year to spoil everyone's time. <laughs> He's not going to say that. He's not going to say that. And so, so you do that, and then when the day arrives and Joe comes in, you go greet him. And uh, I'm, I'm very big when I greet someone, especially this kind of person, is I'll touch them on the shoulder lightly, kind of in a reassuring way, and say, uh, Hey, Joe, it's good to see you. Remember the conversation a week and a half ago? Boy, uh, I'd really appreciate it that when you hear the bell ring, if you can go get their coat do that, uh, it would mean a lot to me. Uh, and Thank you. I have, to go take, I have to go take care of some other things. So what you've done to disarm him is uh, you've, first of all, bared your neck, uh, which is disarming. You've called him important, and you've given him a task that's doable uh, by him. Because sometimes people act up because uh, they're not even awful people. Some of these people are just so awkward right. socially that they, you know, it's, it's almost like the teenager who blurts out awful things, not because they're awful people, but they're just awkward. And so uh, so you can't guarantee this will work, 
But can you see, Matt, in oh. your mind's eye how this could be a great deterrent? Oh, yeah. And you even walked him through, you know, healthy things he could do. I'd like you to shake people's hand, welcome them into the house, take their coat. I mean, those are all things that you might – you're actually coaching him on how to be maybe more civil or at least give the initial impression that he is. You know, absolutely. <laughs> you know, this this is this is my little uh, – Zinger. This is my humor for the Matt Townsend. Yeah. And you can say, now, of course, if you get terrible chest pain, <laughs> you know, we can call an ambulance. That's right. <laughs> you can leave. That's right. Yeah. We, it, it's funny because we really, a lot of times, we don't want them there. And but don't you think, Mark, some of these people know they're not wanted there, which is maybe why they're a jerk anyway. Well, it, it, it's a reinforcing feedback loop, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. No, so down deep, they feel they're not wanted there. But it's almost like this is a way to get a group of people in which you're not wanted and a group of people who are wanting to have a good time. And so uh, there's a saying I heard, uh, and, I, and often I give interviews uh, on a more tragic thing about school shooters, but people who feel put down and pushed away find a way to get in and get even. Mm. And so uh, these could be people who feel that way uh, all year round, and uh, uh, and they're set on doing this. You know, I, I wanted to make this, if I could, a twofer because a twofer meaning uh, how do how does dealing with difficult people or not dealing with them affect New Year's resolutions? Yeah. Um, and so uh, one of the things that people do for New Year's resolutions is they resolve to stay on a healthy diet, uh, keep exercising, take better care of themselves. And if you're a person who has trouble doing that and trouble maintaining it, this tips for you. What I, what I want you to do, if you're listening in, is you take out a sheet of paper, draw a line down the middle of the sheet of paper, and on the left side, and no one else will see this, List all the names of people that give you energy, that lift you up, that after you speak to them, you say to yourself, i, I got to be in touch with that person more. I mean, that's how I feel about you, Matt. Uh, we got to do this more often. Yeah. And they give you energy. And on the right side, list all the people that just take the life out of you, the <laughs> ones who you just hear their name and you think, oh, what now? And you dread them. And you make a commitment to maximizing your time for 30 days with people on the left side of the sheet and minimizing your contact and time with people on the right side. Hmm. And in addition to that, make sure you thank the people on the left side, because one of the worst things we do is we're so focused on the negative people that we fail to thank the good people. And then for the people on the right side, if you have to be in contact with them, talking to crazy is a book written for that, and you can learn some skills. And the reason for doing this is research shows that people will fall off a diet or exercise program after they've had what I call a close encounter of the worst kind. <laughs> right after they've uh, interacted with one of those negative people that just, uh, that, that just causes you so much frustration, when you feel that frustrated by another person, the last thing you want to do is deprive yourself of a treat. And if you don't particularly... Uh, like to exercise, having put in all that work to tolerate that person, last thing you want to do is exercise. 
And so what will happen is if you maximize your contact with positive people, minimize mm-hmm. it with negative people, it will be easier uh, to stay on a diet or uh, uh, exercise and do this for 30 days and then do it for a lifetime. Oh, I love it. And it's such a simple activity. And um, and then let, let's do this, Mark. Let's take a break, come back, and you've got so many other points, too, that – are just kind of quick points, like just assume, you know, ignorance, assume that they're not intentionally trying to be mean. Just a lot of great stuff we got to learn from you. We'll take a break. More from Dr. Mark Goulston from the com. He's the author of the book, Talking to Crazy. Stick with us. We'll be back in one minute. Back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Mark Goulston. He is the author of the book, Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with Rational and Impossible People in Your Life. He's already um, he's already been teaching us just some basic techniques of calling ahead, you know, maybe prepping the person, asking them for their help before they come, uh, you know, setting the, t- setting the idea in their head that there's a lot of people that are here that we don't know exactly what they're going through. <laughs> just... Can I get your help greeting these guests? Uh, Mark, welcome back to the show, and and keep teaching us. What else do we need to know when it comes to talking to the crazy person this Christmas? Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, um, uh, thank you for plugging the book. And I'll uh, uh, talking to crazy and my prior book, Just Listen, and Just Listen became the top book on listening in the world. They're both available. At Kindle for a dollar ninety nine each. Wow, so yeah. Kindle's running a special this month. Uh, I don't know for the last all of December, but just listen and also uh, talking to uh, talking to crazy dollar ninety nine. That's so great. If people like what they're hearing. I hope they'll check that out. Uh, okay, getting back to talking to crazy, we mentioned the list of negative people and positive people. Yeah. So building on that, you do that for thirty days, and then one of the keys to finally cutting your losses with negative people who bring you nothing. Now, sometimes negative people, you have to have them in your life because they provide something at work or they provide a service or it's, it's just, just too awkward, you know, if it's a family member. Right. Uh, and, but one of the ways you get the courage to cut your losses with these people is the more you hang out with positive people in which uh, you don't hear negativity, and you stop talking negatively because sometimes water seeks its own level. And what will happen is the more that you're around positive people and helpful people, the more physically repulsed you will be by the negative people. It will be nails on the chalkboard. Mm. And what will happen, I, and I kid you not, you will have a physical reaction. What previously was, oh, i got to deal with them, will be that, that knot in your stomach will become a fist. And I think if you find yourself getting almost physically ill, that can empower you finally to say to those people, you know, I think we need to take a break. Yeah. Or, um, uh, or if you want to just be honest and say, um, uh, I, I, need to, I need to cut off my contact with you. And one of the ways to say that that's not inflammatory is to say, uh, I need to cut off my contact with you 
because it's very easy for me to fall into negativity. It's very easy for me to fall into being cynical, and I just don't like it when I fall into that. And what I've discovered is when when I've had conversations with you or afterwards, I tend to fall into that. And uh, I can't afford to do that hmm. because it, it takes me to a place that sometimes is tough to get out of. So you can almost say that calmly, and then if they get really angry and defensive, you could say, that's kind of what I'm talking about, what you <laughs> yeah. just did. Yeah, like that. That's the, that's, there's an example. And without, I mean, they might then take that bait and run with it and go off on you. But you're saying, again, I don't want to go here. This is the pattern I don't want to repeat. Yeah. And, and something, you know, that uh, sadly a lot of people can say, and it's true, is uh, more and more people seem to be dealing with depression and anxiety and just getting through life is difficult. And, and you can say, you know, I'm having to cut back situations that add to my depression or my anxiety. Hmm. And what I what I recognize is that when we have interactions afterwards, I I go into a place where I feel more depressed and more anxious, and and I'm just trying to eliminate those things. And if you say it again, not so much in an accusatory thing, you're basically saying I have I'm trying to take care of myself, and I struggle with falling into these places, and I don't want to take a chance. So that's what I would call assertive humility. Hmm. Because it's like you're baring your neck, but in a real, you know, uh, in a no-nonsense way, because you're delivering a non-negotiable kind of thing. Now, if they come back, because you really haven't attacked them, you've just been protective. Uh, uh, They may not, uh, if they're not dyed in the wool awful, they might say, well, what do you mean? And then you give them some examples. So just the last time we spoke, this is kind of what happened. And at the end of it, you know, uh, you know, I found that you were saying many negative things about other people. And I was thinking, well, you probably say those things about me. And plus, I didn't want to argue with it, but but it's I just I just can't do that anymore. I can't be around that. Should I? We only have a couple more minutes, Mark. Um, Like I look at Christmas sometimes, the holidays, it might be an in-law, a relative, or somebody that they're going to be there just because they're married to someone you know, your brother, your sister. Um, Would it be better to communicate with, like, their partner? If you're closer to their spouse, could I just share with their spouse, or should I just not involve their spouse in this problem? Well, if your contact is with the spouse, what I would say is... Uh, because you don't want to bypass the spouse, uh, because then they'll come back to the spouse and say, you know what your friend just said to me? <clears throat> so you don't want to surprise the spouse. But what you can do is use, again, this what I call assertive humility, what you, you say to the spouse that you know, and say, uh, I want to let you know something I'm preparing to do with your partner. And I'm preparing, but, I, but you can weigh in and you can, you know, you can suggest something. But I think what happens is your partner uh, causes a negative time for other people. I think your partner embarrasses him or herself. I think your partner embarrasses you. And this is what I'm planning to do. And But you know, just so you're not surprised, I wanted to run it by you. And, and then if they say, oh, no, please don't do that, it'll create all kinds of problems, what you do is you try and listen into your, uh, your friend, let them talk, you know, go back to my book, Just Listen, and then, and then, and then, in a caring way, say, "How come you put up with that?" Yeah, you know. And then you try and help them through that. So it's kind of a double, a double thing. 
do, do we have a, one short thing for one other tip to sort of yeah i've got i've got about it? 30 seconds is all okay, but do it fast okay, yeah here's another tip uh everybody buy thank you notes blank thank you notes 100 blank thank you notes you write thank you on the envelope and inside you write on the blank thank you note card say thank you for what you do for the world and you go around to people like bus drivers police officers firemen other people that help the world and and are often seen as uh, invisible just go up and when you see them give them the thing and say here just a little thank you note and don't stay around to see if they uh, you know thank you in return yeah but you'll feel better about yourself if you go to all those people who just labor to help all of us and you give them a card like that it will make your day and if you have a whole stack of them it's really going to uh, brighten your oh I love that and it brings cheer to everybody well um, we appreciate you Mark again Dr. Mark Goulston go to his website goulstongroup.com and go check out the books Talking to Crazy and Just Listen on Kindle as he said $1.99 that's a pretty great deal for the holidays uh, it really is a great resource for all of us and go give those cards away bring the spirit of good cheer come on that's that's how we'll change the world and even change your mood as you're going into into the holidays. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be heading to Vegas, folks, to talk to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation who are in Vegas. And uh, it sounded like Jerem was just singing that Elvis song. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Are you there, gentlemen? Oh, I know they're there. They'll pop in in a second. Hey, guys, can you hear me? I can no, hear no, I can no. hear you. We can't hear anything. Oh, that's so rude, but I can hear you. Okay, they're checking their audio. Can. Can oh, now you, you can. Hey, hi, how are you guys? I can hear you. Good, we can hear you now. Hey, uh, was that What's you? Up, man? Was that you singing that Elvis song, Jerem? It sounded just like you. Maybe Spencer. Spencer can do a rendition. Spencer, do you want to? Oh, you wanna... Viva Las Vegas. Yeah. Have you? Are you guys the still? The only words I know from that song are Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys Viva walking? Viva Las Vegas. Are you guys walking around Roughly Vegas? Translates to El Nino. Are no, you, we are, are uh, yeah. again in our in our set at the nerv- the side of the Nirvana pool at the Hard Rock Hotel, oh, and it's wow. forty degrees. It's super super awesome being outside in forty degree weather. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Why don't you go hit the pool? But we really are happy to be here. Oh yeah, that's great. There's a lifeguard on duty, and no one's swimming. It's fantastic. You know what? I dare you to go jump in right now, Jerem. Come on, I dare you. I Listen, double dog. I've, I've had hypothermia before. You I don't, don't want that. You don't want that, huh? Man. No. Hey, um, uh, they're still going to play this game Saturday, right? I think so. Yeah, they haven't. No, no, I haven't seen any changes or anything. My sons are going. Yeah, they, yeah they're going to play. I'm going to have my sons oh, come oh, look yeah, for that's you. Right. You gave them tickets. Yeah. Yeah, you have them say hi. By the way, if they show up, they will be the ones in the pool. You'll know. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Okay. My my son okay. will be in the pool, and it'll look like he's wearing a sweater. But it's just his bare chest. Hey, watch out. I think oh, I hear a Scud boy. missile coming in. 
Yeah, a few of those have been dropping by. <laughs> hey, talk talk to me. I guess it's happening, folks. Uh, Ken, Nia Matalolo's not going to be the head coach. Yeah, he has turned down the BYU job, and really, when you look at all of the signs, you can't blame him. I mean, he's a few years away from his pension and his retirement with the Naval Academy. Oh, yeah. He's in a great spot. He's making great money, and he'll probably get a nice pay increase because of what happened with BYU, and he became a, an attractive commodity, but... Yeah, that whole program is thrilled to keep him, and uh, he said that, you know, we scrutinized about this, my family and I, about what I needed to do and the potential that I could have to possibly coach my sons at BYU. And so there, I mean, there were definitely positives, but I think just the opposition of, of what he knows best, the triple option offense, and he's had great success with the, the Navy, I think it was just, it was all combined in an and in the end, it was like, you know, why why am I leaving? Why yeah. would I leave a great situation where I'm successful to go and try something that, you know, people don't really want at BYU with that triple option? So now it's down to Kalani Sataki or Kyle Whittingham. <laughs> which, which, you know, that's a big game Saturday because one of those could be the coach for BYU. This could be... One of those could be the coach. And I'm, I'm going to go with Kalani. Kalani, Kalani to, to is me, the, he's the leader in the clubhouse. That's right what now. it feels like. Yeah. It sounds like. Yes. Um, to me, today and tomorrow are Kalani's days. Yeah. Where if he's the guy, BYU, in my opinion, would try and pull the trigger pre bowl game, get some national attention from that, and go. That's one move. The other move is just hire him next week. The other move is next week, see Kyle Whittingham's interest, which I'm sure Tom Homo is gauged, former teammate, friend. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we have a two on one with Kyle Whittingham coming up on the show that oh, we recorded man. Awesome. last night at some media availability, so stay tuned for that. Kalani or Kyle, to me, it's tomorrow, today and tomorrow, Kalani's days, and then next week would be Kyle Whittingham time to me. Woo. This is incredible. I think um, it, it's, so. I'm sure your show coming up at the top of the hour is going to be out of the park. What have uh, What have you got for us? What are you going to be bringing to the show? Compelling and rich. That's what it will be. Uh, okay. So along with the Kyle Whittingham interview, we sit down with Tanner Mangum, the quarterback. Yeah. Apparently, all he does is cold temperature outside shows. With us, the last time we talked to him, it was a similar situation. <laughs> But uh, we're going to ask him how he attacks a, a very good Utah defense and, and what he's thinking about as they prepare for the game with all the coaching distractions happening. We also have Devon Blackman on the show, wide receiver who's had a great season but is still searching for that first touchdown. We'll ask him what would it mean to get in the end zone for the first time as a senior in your final game against Utah and the bowl situation. So, I mean, it's, it's all good. It's Man, all, I don't it's think all good. we've had a better um, show in terms of storylines and guests ever. I'm serious. This is it. Today. It took Vegas. It, you had to it do took this. Vegas. It we've had Vegas. some good shows. We've had like four really, really good shows in the 600 <laughs> we've done. And this, to me, is the best. You've had more than four. You've had at least a dozen, a baker's dozen. You're right. It was, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah 13. 13. 12, out of, 12 out of 600. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 13. Yeah, whatever. I love that phrase. You guys are the best, honestly. And again, I, I'm sure I heard that you guys partied hard down at that Fremont party. We're, hey, listen, we don't, throw, we, we don't, don't even... throw hands, Matt. We throw words. Ooh. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but it sounds violent. Hey, oh, we man. are, yes. Yeah, yeah. There, there, was, an, there, there was a there was a little, an incident last there was. night. There was. Little Utah player. There was an incident. Uh-huh. Yes, so we'll you, talk about that. And, you know, it, it's, 
really, it's it's just another fun chapter in the rivalry. I love it. Yeah, it's good. It. Another fun yeah, chapter. Yeah, fan the flames. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a rivalry. Thank you for reminding us. That's right. BYU's a dirty team. I right. mean, yeah, so, like, all the BYU fans. Don't are, want nothing. Yeah, don't want nothing. Don't stock <laughs> nothing. Won't be nothing. Yeah. I'm yes. Just, it's all good. <laughs> yes. It's all good. Oh, well, you guys. We talked to Tanner Mangum about that. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. See, your show's ready. You're locked. You're loaded. It's going to be one of the We're top good. five shows Let's ever go, done. Man. We're ready to go. Okay, let me just, I'll get We're mine wrapped and up. And Star Wars is tonight. And Star Wars is tonight, and so you can then get your yeah. uh, Darth Vader suit on and go walk the strip. That'll be great. Good luck with that. Word up. Word up. <laughs> no, it was a stormtrooper. I'll raise oh, the money it was a to pay for the movie That's right. by doing that. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay, guys, have a great show. Take care of yourself. Stay out of the cold. Thanks, sir. Go hit the pool after. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. I mean, how many times do you get to do a show by a pool? It's incredible, the opportunities they get. I just sit here and look across the board at Ben. I just feel like I could go to Vegas once, you know? I could go, I could, you know. We'll pack up the board. We'll go together, and we'll do the show from there. Yeah. I was thinking I'll just call it in. I just would call. Oh. I'd just be there by myself, maybe my family. Oh. It sounded like they were in a war zone. Did you hear that? All these airplanes landing. Like, are, are they, Is the pool on the tarmac? Is it on the runway at BYU? Uh-oh. Shh, 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 shh. Don just came in. Hey, Don. I just heard you talking... Is oh, my mic on? There you go. What did you hear? You heard something? Yeah. What would you hear? We're just talking about that you never get an opportunity to go and Vegas. do your show in fun locations. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've never been to Vegas for BYU. No? Well, I, I just wanted to say that I brought the fun to you today. I brought you, in honor of uh, ugly Christmas sweaters and things, I brought you <laughs> ugly Christmas cookies. And do we have my Christmas office. cookies? Ugly ones, yeah. So, oh, you're so nice. So and your sweater is not you. ugly. Well, thank you. It's uh, <laughs> your sweater looks great. <laughs> Made for radio. It's radio. Hey, sweater. I just wanted to do one more thing too. Yeah. I heard you talking earlier about um, some of the food, and, and you go ahead and do your show if you want. I no, don't no. mean to. Like, no, no, no. This is totally great. I didn't even have anything to do right now. <laughs> so I was just going to talk. Were you? Whatever. Uh, you were talking about um, th- this is the Italian. Uh, uh, food police yeah. coming in now. You're talking about your your pizza. Pizza on pizza on pizza. Pizza on pizza on pizza. Oh, sounds good. And you referenced calzone. Yeah, somebody did. Yeah, I yeah, didn't. Yeah. But I Maybe would never, that was Ben. But Maybe. you said it. You said it. You I would it. say calzone. Calzone. But you'd but say calzone. In in Italian, you got to pronounce all the. Is that how they do? All the all the. Uh, so if vowels. I put a, if I put a pizza on a calzone, what is that? Uh. A slice of pizza on slice top of, of pizza the calzone. On top of the calzone. It's different. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like somebody dropped something. Yeah, it's a mistake. Um, yeah, it's a mistake. But I just want you to know what is uh, every word, all the foods and everything actually have a meaning. What does that mean? Calzone. Yeah. It means a sock. It's like if you stuff food in your sock. Well, why would anyone do that? I don't know, but that's. I just want you to know <laughs> that next time you eat a calzone, oh, it's that like just putting made your me dry pizza heave. inside. <laughs> So it's, okay, let me get this straight. So a calzone is like See, sticking your pizza inside your sock. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is it? <laughs> oh. oh, sorry. It's okay. Sorry. Hey, hey, Ben, Ben, oh. do that outside. Ben got sick, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, Ben does not. He's very delicate. Uh, he is. Uh, and then you heard, too, that when food goes in your mouth, th- all the time is the same. Because somebody was thinking, like, there's, like, a weird time 
warp where anyway you must have missed that part you lost me so much on that one but but time is the same once pizza's in your belly it's time is all even because we were thinking the smaller pieces would be at a different speed of time or anyway boy that sounds like was that on a star trek episode that was actually on an earlier episode i think that was on top of mind later last night (laughs) that's where they cover that yeah that's scientific (laughs) stuff they get into all that science stuff We don't like to get all scientific. No, no. So anyway, I just dropped by so to tell sad. you about Christmas Let's get Christmas calzone. outside. Let's calzone. Get, I'll get my it. cookies and, uh, uh, yeah, calzone. Then write, remember to write that down. It means putting pizza in your sock. Okay. Um, not doesn't sound very good to eat. But uh, thanks, Don. Wow. That's gross. Don was – Don seemed mad. We made, we made fun of calzone. That guy knows how to say it. Hey, did you hear about these heroes? So we always like to end with a hero story. Um, There's some mystery Santas. One of the mystery Santas, listen to this out of Cleveland. Secret Santas gave an early Christmas gift to shoppers at Walmart stores in three states by anonymously paying off $484,000 that they owed on holiday purchases set aside with a retailer. Walmart said customers at several stores in Ohio, Florida, and Pennsylvania had their balances on holiday layaway accounts paid off by anonymous donors. So somebody goes, buys something, and they they put it on layaway so they can pay payments on it. And they go back to get their gifts, and maybe they they hardly had to pay anything. Because some mystery donor, one donated $106,000 to pay off accounts at two stores in northeast Iowa, Another gave 200000 for layaway tabs at two stores in Gainesville, Florida. And a local Pennsylvania businessman who calls himself Santa B paid off $158,000 at stores in Harrisburg and Mechanicsburg. Holy cow. How cool is that? Um, anyway, you're our heroes of the day. Just secretively paying the bills. And this is happening all over the country. Paying it forward, folks, that's what we call it. And on the show, we always like to highlight the heroes because in all honesty, we all can be a hero. You don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to be a hero. You could just give what you can give. Sometimes it's just being nice. Uh, Sometimes it's giving somebody your seat on the subway. Whatever it is, it's just giving a little bit of yourself. And we need that in the world today, don't we? Well, that's the show, my friends. Again, uh, we can't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. You can find out more about the show if you want to look up podcasts. One of the best things you can do now, go to byuradio.org, or you can go look up the BYU Radio app, and you can download all of our past segments. So just go to the, the app store and look up BYU Radio dot, or just look up the BYU Radio app and uh, download that to your phone. Also go to iTunes, tune in, any of those other sources, we'll have it as well. We'll be back tomorrow for folks helping you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, watch out for each other, and uh, we'll be back again to talk. Take care.